You can't handle the truth. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> You're gonna need a bigger boat. Get away from her, you bitch! The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. To infinity and beyond! Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Hello and welcome to episode 86 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm Manny Manuel. Manny, it's been so long. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Merry all the things. How are you? I am well. Thank you. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. You have been missed, good sir. As have you. Um... Yeah, so we weren't supposed to take a hiatus this long. <laughs> no. I, I, I guess um, apologies are in order for the Christmas episode, the super secret Christmas episode that was teased and, and hinted at and then never came about because both of our jobs just took over our lives in December. Yeah, yeah. So we do apologize for that. Uh, we uh, have decided that we'll just uh, do it next year. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, so you <laughs> just wait another 52 weeks and it'll be good to go. That's uh, that's like no time at all in uh, in podcast time, right? It, it seems like forever ago that we planned out this episode. Like I'm always surprised when episodes sneak up on us. I know it's it's a it's a good time. Uh, speaking of apologies, I would yes. uh, like to apologize to both you, my friend, and our dear listeners, as I'm battling a little bit of a bug, so I've been coughing quite a bit. I'm going to try and get to my microphone as quickly as I can to flip it off if, if need be. But if I can't and I happen to cough on air in your ear and to you, our listeners, I am pre-apologizing at this moment. I'm going to try my best to stay on top of it. Yeah, you poor thing. You sound like you've been you've been as sick sick as a dog through the entire Christmas season. Yeah, well, I, I was really sick for only like about three or four days. But uh, this cough I've had for now about two weeks, and I, I can't shake it. The one thing with my microphone being turned off when I cough, which I just did, is our <laughs> listeners are uh, spared. But Samuel is not. Yeah, I still have to hear everything. So <laughs> I'll, I'll always try to, like, stammer my way through a sentence. But, yeah, I can always hear Manny coughing. And it's it's going to be a little bit of a struggle for both of us. But we've we've dealt with worse we'll persevere yes we, we shall. are experienced vets at this point at episode 86 so 86 there's nothing we can tackle episodes unbelievable yeah. hmm, we should do something special for 100 i agree <laughs> <laughs> another subtle cough that the audience doesn't hear um if you can make it through without coughing manny why don't you uh, tell the people where they can find us on social media oh i can actually feel the tickle in my throat as soon as you said that get rid of it first get rid of it first okay hold on hold on I don't know why I turn my head away from the mic when I turn it off. <laughs> Can't be too sure. So it's, true. It's polite. That is true. And even po- even through a screen, it's still polite <laughs> that you're uh, you're turning away. I appreciate it. I I really I guess I should be coughing into my elbow like that. Yeah, I don't want to get sick. Right. <laughs> it's gonna come again. Oh, hold on. Okay. Oh, this is gonna be interesting. I know, right? <laughs> I was I was dreading it. About a week ago, I was like, "This cough better be gone by next week." Um. 
on social media, yes, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can email us at sammannymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Please follow our Facebook page. Just search out the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast and you'll find us there. Again, we're not that active, so I, I promise we won't take over your feed. And yeah, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Luminary, Stitcher, and Spotify and probably anywhere else that you get your podcast fix. Mostly just tell people about our podcast wherever you can. We're not too picky about anything. Yeah, share our podcast with your friends. Let them know about this. I promise that most of the episodes I'm not coughing. Uh, but uh, they're also Most of the episodes aren't also as long as this one's probably going to be. Yeah, this well, I can't promise anything. Uh, our episodes <laughs> tend to be pretty long as we tend to run our mouths a fair share. Yeah. Speaking of which... What we're talking about this week is uh, we're currently in the year 2020. We're in January, January 8th is when we're recording this, which means a full decade has come and gone. And uh, we thought it would be um, appropriate to look back and see what movies we liked best. We're talking about our top 10 movies of the teens. I'm so excited. I know Manny's excited. We've been Super talking about excited. this for a long time. Um, rules of engagement, as always, for our top 10s. Um, we're, uh, we've, we've decided not to do any spoilers, no major spoilers, if we can avoid it. However, if we feel that we can't, we will be giving spoiler warnings, given that uh, we don't want to spoil any of these wonderful movies for people unnecessarily if they haven't seen them. Uh, we're going to go in ascending order from 10 to 1, alternating between our two lists. I think we decided beforehand that I'm going to start. And if we have uh, the same movie listed in different spots, we're going to delay the discussion on that movie until it arrives on the person's list who has it higher. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense to me, Samuel. All right. Beautiful. Awesome. Um, Sam, my question, though. Yes. What were your criteria in formulating this impressive list? So I was uh, sort of bellyaching. I was bellyaching to you before we got on air tonight uh, that I had such a difficult time compiling this list. Um, I felt like the decisions were so hard. Mainly, I just... um, I listed probably about 30 to 40 movies. I went through Wikipedia and Google and IMDb and all the sources I could find for the, for the highest rated movies this year. And then I, uh, I narrowed them down uh, step by step, sort of uh, elimination style. It's tough. Um, I really didn't have any specific criteria I was looking for. I mostly just, uh, if I enjoyed one movie more than another, I would I would pick the one that I enjoyed. If there were two that I super duper enjoyed and i couldn't decide which was going to go in what spot or which was going to make the list or whatever i nitpicked the hell out of them for um for any plot holes or character flaws or uh moments where that moments where the movie drags or just any sort of issues i could find i really had to dig deep to find the differences in enjoyment for these movies i'm not even 100 percent convinced that if i made this list again today it would be exactly the same as i have it on here but it's about as good as it's going to get because the difference between them, in my opinion, is so minuscule. There was a lot of good movies that came out this decade. Yeah, I agree. Uh, For me, a little bit different. Process was pretty much the same. I went through each year individually, just looked at every movie that was released and wrote down ones that I loved. And then once I had my list done out of each year, out of those years, I tried to limit myself I just looked at them in all honesty and said, how much do I love these? And then I moved the ones from each year onto a master list. From that master list, when it was done, I had 29 films that I had to whittle down to 10. 
looking at the list at the beginning had me concerned, but I found it pretty easy to get down to almost whittle it in, in half was actually almost in half was actually pretty easy. Mm-hmm. It was from there that things got difficult only for the bottom part. Like I mentioned to Sam prior to recording is that my eight through one were pretty easy to do. Nine and ten, I could probably switch out with some of my other honorable mentions, which we'll be revealing later on in the episode. Mm-hmm. But eight through one, their order might change around a little bit, except for number one. Number one was number one. When we made, as soon as we t- discussed this, I already I knew what number one was off the top yeah. of my head. I I I'm wondering if I know what your I I haven't even thought about what your number one is going to be, but I'm kind of curious. I, I, I have a guess, at least. I don't know. I have a guess. Interesting. Well, yeah. at the end of the episode, you can reveal if you think if your guess was correct. Okay. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, th- I agree. It was, I had, like, we had texted each other a little bit. I was having a blast making this list. And, like I said, I, for me, I kind of flipped between how much I enjoyed the movie like is this something that i i watch a lot if i want to put on a movie to enjoy a movie is this one of the ones that i go to oh hold on yeah that was that was one of my tiebreakers as well i think there was a few on there that were just movies that i absolutely adore that i loved but they weren't movies that i had gone back and watched because i loved them they were just movies at the time that i was like yeah that was really good and maybe they didn't have the rewatchability factor. That was a, that was sort of a tiebreaker for me as well. Yeah. And so just to, again, to clarify for the people listening for my list and most likely for yours, Sam, but I don't want to speak for you. These yeah. are our favorite movies of the teens, not the best. That definitely speaks. That me. is a different list that I would actually be intrigued about making. That one honestly would be a lot harder for me to make. Yeah. Sort of, that would be a lot more of a pretentious list. Yes. I think. I could tell you there would 100% be some overlap between those two lists, and my number mm. one would still be number one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I can, looking at it right now, I can already see that I'd probably knock off at least four or five off this list. Uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up real quick before yeah. we actually dive into it is that uh, you and I talked about this beforehand. We talked a little bit about the pros and cons of including movies from 2019 on this list. Yes. Um, there's sort of an argument to be made that, uh, movies from 2019 haven't quite, uh, aged yet. Like they haven't had a lot of time to solidify themselves. Um, just a few weeks ago, Manny and I were talking about, uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri from 2000, what is that? 17 now? Yep. Um, and how that was both of our top movies of the year and it's probably fallen down, uh, in the years since it's probably gone down the list a few. Definitely Um, has. So for reasons like that, I was sort of iffy about putting 2019 movies on here. Because I want to give the movies time to age a little bit. Um, but that being said, I think Manny and I agreed that if we enjoyed a movie enough for right now for it to be on our list, it should be on our list. So there may or may not be 2019 movies on both of ours. Yeah, I guess we'll find out. Yes, we will. Um, I like that. Let's get a, let's get a little pretentious, though. Oh, yeah, as we do. Yeah. Um. <laughs> What is your, out of your 10 films that made your list, what is their average Metascore? 
yeah, so we agreed that we were uh, we agreed that we were going to get our meta scores for each movie beforehand. We did not agree that we were going to get our average. However, we both did it separate <laughs> from one another because I guess we're just huge nerds like that. Huge um, nerds. I, I have a feeling your meta score is higher than mine. The, the meta score of my list averages out at an eighty point seven. Ooh, that's actually when you said that yours wasn't that high. I was actually thinking it was going to be like seventy five or something. No, like it, it's still pretty high. There's some damn good movies on my list but i have a feeling yours is even higher not by much actually oh 85.3 85.3 all right so we're both pretentious nerds yes uh, you a little bit more so either that or i'm just a yokel and i like worse movies than you whichever but you prefer really it's possible uh one other thing before we dive into our list um you and i are both we actually didn't mention this we did not reveal our list to one another no, yeah, that goes without saying. This is this is coming as a surprise for both of us. Neither of us knows what's on the other's list, yeah. although we've made predictions, as we've alluded to. Predictions of overlap. I'm, I'll am i give mine first. Okay, all right. I think I have one on my list that I have, I'm willing to bet large sums of money is on yours. Is not on mine, or Th- is? That is. Okay. I have, like, I, if if this one film I have on my list isn't on yours, I would be stunned. I have two others that I feel pretty good prop might be on your list like probably if they didn't appear on your list it wouldn't sh- it wouldn't shock me. The one that I have if it's not on your list honestly mind blown. Yeah. And then I have one more that I think is on your list only because of something that you said earlier. I won't say anything to re- okay. to, to to spoil anything for <laughs> a uh, for uh, for the listeners, but so I have I have four. My total is four possible overlaps. Yeah, but one like I I have one, one hundred percent. I feel is on your list. Okay, I'm gonna say that we at least have two that overlap. Okay, I, I, I'm looking at two right now. I, I'm pretty sure they're on both of ours. Um, and then I'm gonna say it's as high as maybe four total i think i think four is a good number we have unique enough lists from one another that'll be interesting but i i think four is a reasonable guess for that's awesome so you the the four that you have in mind you know for sure which four those are uh yes okay cool because i wonder if they are the exact four that because i like i said i think we have up to i have up to four might be on your list it would be amazing if it is the same four okay i am just going to write mine down real quick there's that one and that one and that one okay i'll, I'll write mine down too and oh where's the other one uh-huh this is okay i got my predictions written down they are set in stone okay. i'm pressing control s for save uh hold on. Uh, locked in what was the other one uh oh okay oh that's right okay it's uh hold on it's where where are we at where are we at uh, Mm-hmm. And no, I'm gonna switch this one to here, and this one is this one. Sorry for having everyone listen to me type. <laughs> okay, it's all good. Okay, so I I have my predictions down. <sighs> Shall we dive into it? We should, and like we discussed prior to starting, Samuel is going to lead us off. Sam, what is your number 10 film of the 2010s? 
Okay. 2000 teens? 2000 teens, I guess. Is that what they call it? I have no idea I what they call so. it. I think so, sure. The, I'm going to call it 2000 teens. Okay. You're number my, 10. My number 10 movie of the teens uh, is the reason why I was asking about uh, 2019 movies. <laughs> uh, um, it is a 2019 movie. I've just watched it recently for the second time. Uh, it's probably not what you're thinking of. Uh, it is the 2019 instant classic Jojo Rabbit. That is your number 10, number 10 film of, film the, of decade. the decade. Yeah. Have you I, seen it, by the way? I have. You have. And you seem flabbergasted by that. I am. <laughs> I am. Um, so it's, writ- it's written and directed by Taika Waititi. It's uh, starring uh, Roman Griffin Davis at, in his film debut. It's uh, also starring Thomas and McKenzie, Taika Waititi, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, currently sitting, wait for it, at a 57 Metascore. So uh, hence why I thought my uh, my meta my meta score would be much much lower than yours on oh, the average because I have a fifty seven sitting in there. That fucked you. Yeah, it definitely did. Um, uh, the plot is that a young boy in Hitler's army finds out his mother is hiding a Jewish girl in their home. Manny, why don't you give me your instant reaction to this? You seem absolutely stunned at this development. Okay, if, uh, <laughs> I'll I'll be honest, and okay. and one of like you said earlier or off air earlier on is one of your worries about making this list and including 2019 is that we'll spoil our top 10 of 2019 which is coming down the pipe yes that's i i'm like whatever who cares i i honestly believe like you said earlier in this very same episode if we saw something this year that we think is one of the best in decades it should be included on the list because 2019 is part of this decade yes now if this had been your number 10 of 2019 i would have been i'm like that's a great pick yeah. This is uh, spoilers ahead for that episode. This is definitely in consideration for my top 10 of the year. But it's not in consideration for your number 1 even if I Not even <laughs> not even close. Yeah. That doesn't diminish this film because this film is outstanding. It is. Even though it's outstanding in my opinion not one of the definitely not in the top 10 of the decade. That's fine. But I love that you put it on here. So please, why don't you share with our listeners why this movie meant so much to you? It did. And that was sort of the thing. This is one of one of the things that I was sort of worried about making this list is that, do I really want to put Jojo Rabbit on my list? It's so fresh. I don't know if it's going to age particularly well. I really don't know. But at the end of the day, I just rewatched it for the second time uh, the other day in preparation for this episode. Quick, quick question. Yeah. Didn't mean to cut you off. Yep. If you watch it for the second time, I'm going to have to assume you watched it illegally. I would never admit that on air, Manny. Okay, thank you. Continue. <laughs> I watched it in theaters the first time, if that helps. Um, yeah, so this movie just meant so much to me both times. Um, I think, first of all, Roman Griffin Davis deserved his Golden Globe nomination uh, for uh, Best Actor in a Comedy or Musical. Of course, Golden Globes don't mean as much as Oscars, but his nomination was completely well-deserved at... I, I think he's currently 12 years old in real life. He gives a brilliant performance. He's, he's hilarious. So he has some fantastic deliveries of lines. His chemistry with both Thomas and Mackenzie, who plays Elsa, the Jewish girl living in his house, uh, and his chemistry with Scarlett Johansson, who plays his mother, and his chemistry with Taika Waititi, who plays Adolf Hitler, of all people. Um, yes, you heard that it, right, people. <laughs> he uh, He 
absolutely uh, kills it. He, his delivery of some of the lines, which are hilariously litten, written, are hilariously delivered. Um, the movie is equal parts hilarious, dark, touching, heartwarming, heartbreaking at times. Um, I think uh, I'm looking at this 57 Metascore. Even though I'm not putting it on the same level as this, um, the idea of life is beautiful comes to mind when I look at this Metascore. Good call. Yep. Um, Good call. I, because this movie doesn't belong at a 57. It just Not, simply doesn't. Nope. I agree. Um, and I think the reason why, and I think you'll agree with this, Manny, is because of the subject matter. I think a certain kind of person might interpret this movie as uh, making light of uh, World War II, making light of the Holocaust, making light of Nazism, a- any combination of those things. And I can be sympathetic to that point of view, but I think if you give this movie a fair chance, uh, you'll find that it's what it's really about at its heart is rejecting hatred and letting love guide you. Um, it has a fantastic supporting cast. Uh, Sam Rockwell and Alfie Allen, I think are hilarious. in the I movie. Knew, I knew you would love old Sammy Rockwell. <laughs> it's our boy, Sam Rockwell. Always, always got to shout him out when he, when he comes up. Uh, yeah, I, I thought this movie was hilarious and, um, yeah, I, I guess I'll just get into the my favorite parts of it. Um, my favorite scene, again, we're not I'm not going to spoil this movie because it is so fresh, and I encourage people to go watch it before the Oscars. Um, but it's the it's the scene where you're going to cry, basically. It's the why don't scene, you just call it the butterfly scene? The butterfly scene, fantastic. The butterfly scene is uh, is the best scene of the movie. Well and done. again, Roman Griffin Davis, even though he was nominated for best uh, best actor in a comedy or musical, this is a devastating dramatic performance from him in this scene uh and it it not a dry eye in the house like it was absolutely beautiful um <laughs> we also said we were gonna list our favorite quote um <laughs> it's it's a, it's a comedic quote and it, it makes me giggle even just reading it in my notes um scarlett johansson his mother uh <laughs> jojo's mother tells him love is the most powerful thing in the world and Jojo responds, I think you'll find that metal is the strongest thing in the world, followed closely by dynamite and then muscles. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he plays the role of the naive kid so well. He's uh, uh, he His redemption arc through the course of this movie, uh, being brought back to just being a little boy, uh, is beautiful. And it, it affected me in a way I didn't expect it to. I almost didn't put it on this list, but it would be dishonest of me if I said that this wasn't one of my favorite movies of the decade. Nice. Oh, I love it. Oh, this this list is off to a great start. <laughs> I hope you have as big of a surprise uh, at your number 10 spot. I think I might. Okay. All right. I'm game. Let's I think I might. I, I don't know. Let's find out. Manny's number 10 of the decade is Zero Dark Thirty from 2012. Whoa! All right. That's, that is that is a bit of a surprise. I have seen this movie. It's not on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, but Manny, uh, please uh, indulge me. Why? What do you like about this movie? Well, it was directed by Catherine Bigelow, written by Mark Bull, starring Jessica Chastain, Jason Clark, and Kyle Chandler. Has a meta score of 95. The plot... A chronicle of the decade-long hunt for al-Qaeda terrorist leader Osama bin Laden after the September 2001 attacks and his death at the hands of the Navy SEALs Team 6 in May 2011. I just have to say for the people listening, you got a little twinkle in your eye uh, when you said uh, it's a 95, you said, Metascore? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you, got a little, you got a little cocky smirk like, oh, you started out with a 57? Oh, I got a, got a 95. Yeah. <laughs> That's a difference of almost 40 points, so the rest of your list must be incredibly good films, while mine are average at best. 
Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, some of the reasons... This one was one of the hardest... This, this number 10 spot was one of the hardest ones for me to pick. But if, essentially it came down to... I put this movie on a lot. I sit through it from start to finish. And like we had... Uh, mentioned when we were compiling this list we should write down some reasons why we like it so much mm-hmm. and hands down 100% the main reason I like this movie is Jessica Chastain in what can only be described as in my opinion one of the best performances of the decade sadly it's a, I think it's actually a little bit overlooked because of how well this movie is directed how well this movie is Paste and the story itself. I love Jessica Chastain. She's skyrocketing up my list of favorite actresses. Um, like I already said, one of the other reasons I love this movie is how well it's directed and how well it's paced. I, I have heard uh, lately that this movie doesn't accurately portray the actual way they caught Bin Laden. But I, from my understanding, the recreation of his assassination in the compound at the end. I'm, I'm. This is a complete spoiler of this movie, but the actual plot of the film told you everything that happens in this movie, <laughs> anyways. So I don't feel bad saying that they get Bin Laden at the end. Yeah. Um. The. The pacing of this film, it's. It's two hours and thirty-seven minutes, and it does not feel that long to me it flies by but i'm also a fan i understand why a lot of people don't like this movie because this is basically a procedural on film it's uh, what's the word i'm looking for i can't i can't find i can't methodical methodical yes it's it's a how did they do it movie and it's a bunch of people just kind of talking and looking over files and doing interviews of terrorists and it's it's honestly it's almost like it's almost like an episode of like CSI except without all kind of like the science this is more kind of like spycraft and stuff like that it's it's just carried on Jessica Chastain's powerhouse performance there's so many scenes that she's in and that she just fucking kills it uh, I'm a big fan of Jason Clark I really like him in this movie I like the bravado that he carries it's not it's not macho it's not it's not a tough guy it's just this confidence he has and I really like him in this film and then also one of the other reasons I love this movie is the final scene where they get Bin Laden. The recreation of SEAL Team 6 invading that compound. Even though in the theater when I watched it, I know what happens. They go in there and they shoot the world's most wanted man. But it's, so f- it's shot so well and done so well that it's super fucking tense. It's... Catherine Bigelow, the woman is a fucking genius. Um, 
so those are the reasons why Zero Dark Thirty is on my list at number 10. My favorite scene, actually, before I get into that, Sam, your thoughts on Zero Dark Thirty? Before uh, I wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really seen it since it came out. What was the year on it again? 2012. 2012, yeah. So it's been a bit since I've seen it. I think I do own it on Blu-ray, if I recall. I should maybe bust it back out. Uh, but one of the things I remember coming away from the movie thinking was how, well, going in, I expected it to be uh, sort of like a piece of propaganda, basically. I expected it to be really celebratory of, of going into a guy's house and murdering him, basically, which, I mean, by the way, is one of the most despicable people who's ever lived. So, I mean, nothing much of value lost there. But I, I was expecting it to be basically a glorified piece of propaganda, and I did not get that at all. I remember thinking it was... Uh, a celebration of the process and the people involved and uh, and showing just how how these people went through the ringer and back to get this guy. And yeah, it was it was about the uh, the procedure of, of getting bin Laden. And it, I don't want to say the actual murdering of bin Laden was secondary because it wasn't. But it, it was uh, it, it was about the people involved in the process, which is something I really liked. It. it didn't come off as uh, as propaganda at all, in my opinion. I agree, and I a lot of people have stated that as well. They're always shocked after watching this movie because they went in with that same expectation. And why wouldn't you? No offense to any of our American listeners, but as we've revealed before, Sam and I are both Canadian. And if you don't live in the States, a lot of the stuff that America does, their films, especially when it comes to stuff over in Iraq and the Middle East comes across as pretty propaganda and America is the best. This is not that case. This is this movie is all about the process of tracking down and hunting and killing bin Laden. The actual killing of bin Laden in this movie is not glorified. It is not made to seem like something epic and great. It doesn't have slow motion shots of bin Laden taking bullets and blood spraying everywhere. You actually kind of don't even really see it happen. Mm -hmm. And it's to Catherine Bigelow's, in all honesty, I think the reason that this movie is so good is it was because it was directed by a woman. I think a man would have a hard time holding back that patriotic desire to really glorify the assassination of this man in his home. Yeah, like Catherine Bigelow's Zero Dark Thirty is much different than, say, Clint Eastwood's Zero Dark Thirty would be, right? Well, exactly. Well said. <laughs> well said. Um, or Michael Bay's. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's a movie I, I would never want. I, I would, I, I would I never, fucking watch that. I couldn't, I couldn't watch it. Um, so my favorite scene in this movie is the final scene where they get Bin Laden. It's unfair for me to call basically the last 35 minutes of a film a scene, but it technically is. And it is shot so amazingly. Some pretty famous people in SEAL Team 6. Uh, Chris Pratt, uh, Joel Edgerton, uh, God damn it, who's uh, the guy that plays Luke Cage uh, in Luke Cage on Netflix. He, uh, Mike Coulter, he's in it. And I swear there's another person in that uh, in SEAL Team 6 that's pretty well known. But doesn't matter. I got the big guys. Chris Pat and Joel Edgerton and uh, Mike Coulter. Um, 
my favorite quote, uh, I have it down here. So uh, it's between uh, CIA director played. Uh, oh God, I'm looking right at him. The Tony Soprano. Why can't I think of his name? I never watched The Sopranos. I have no idea. God damn it! I'm looking right <laughs> at. I'm looking at a picture of him. How sad is it? Okay, hold on. I gotta. I gotta find his name. Uh. God, fuck wins like a thousand fucking awards. James Gandolfini, Jesus there you Christ. Go. Uh, so James Gandolfini is talking in this boardroom about whether or not that they're going to send in SEAL Team Six. That's the scene. Here we go. CIA director, what's this? This cluster of buildings down here. George, the PMA, it's the Pakistani Military Academy. CIA director looks at him incredulously. George, it's their West Point. CIA director, and how close is it to the house? About a mile. And Maya, our hero, played by Jessica Chastain, 4,221 feet. It's closer to eight-tenths of a mile. Who are you? I'm the motherfucker that found this place, sir. I fucking love that line. She takes no shit. She doesn't care that this is the CIA director. She doesn't care who she's talking to at any point. She knows she's right. She's tired of all this bullshit. I fucking love her in this movie. That's my favorite quote. Love it. Awesome. Ends with a bang. Let's do it. Sam, your number nine film. So uh, we're going to return to the distant year of 2019 again. Holy shit. Yeah, this is the one you thought it was going to be. Sitting at the number nine slot. We actually talked about this movie in episode 55 (laughs) of the Samuel and Manuel movie podcast. Uh, And that would be, Manny, what's the movie? This is Avengers Endgame. Correct. Is this on your list? Sam, this movie is on my list. Is it? It is. <laughs> All right, I'll uh, I'll leave it. I'll leave it for a second. We can talk about it later. Why don't we move to your number nine? Sure. Just before we do, uh, this is one of the films I was a maybe on. For me, oh, okay. For, for, for our, our predictions, for, for, me. for some crossover. Okay, I I had this. Yeah, it, this was a maybe for me as well. Well, I, it shouldn't have been a maybe. I should have known for certain that you, you would have had this movie. But for yeah, sure. Endgame okay. is on my list, but it's on Manny's too, so we'll talk about it later. For sure. So just as a, a refresher, of the four that you think that we have overlapped, like I said, I have one that I am 100% sure is on your list. Yeah. How are you feeling about the other three? Do you have uh, one you're like, it's got to be? It's got to be on. Two of the other three I'm almost certain we'll both have. Uh, and then one I'm like, I don't know, probably, probably a coin flip. Interesting. Okay. All right. So my number nine is the 2016 science fiction classic, Arrival. Not on my list. Not surprised. This is directed by Denis Villeneuve, uh, written by Eric Hessier, based off the Ted Chiang uh, story, starring Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, and Forrest Whitaker. Has a meta score of 81. Brought me down, that motherfucker. The plot. (laughs) A linguist works with the military to communicate with alien life forms after 12 mysterious spacecraft appear around the world. (sighs) The reasons that I love this film. I actually rewatched it recently as I was unsure if my love for this movie was going to carry it into the top 10. And after rewatching it, it was easy for me to put it 
on this at number nine. The various reasons I love this movie are mostly tied into someone who is most likely in my top three favorite filmmakers, and that's Denis Villeneuve. Oh, one second. In my opinion, the man is a genius, a pure genius, and he is now a must-watch for everything he does going forward. Can we just say that Dune coming out later this year in 2020, if you are listening to this podcast right now and you are a movie fan and you want to support good filmmakers and you don't go see Dune this year, uh, you are a monster and you are no friend of ours. Is, is that is that safe to say? That's definitely safe to say. We have 11 months to wait because it doesn't come out till December. I've been waiting for this fucking movie since it was announced like two years ago and we still have a year to wait. I know. I know. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah. Uh, Villeneuve is, like I said, quickly climbing the the charts of my favorite filmmakers with really honestly the only two I could probably put ahead of him confidently would be Fincher and Tarantino. That's a a, a short list. Yeah. Honestly, after Villeneuve... What about Spielberg? uh, But Spielberg... Because his filmography is so massive at this point. He does have some stinkers. He's got some bad ones. And honestly, like I guess if I kind of quickly look back maybe at the movies he's made in the last decade, I probably only liked, like, honestly, I bet you out of the last decade, maybe only two Spielberg films made the top movies of that year. Mm. And let me do a quick check of my master list. I bet you there's none that made that 29. Whoa. Let's, let's take a quick look here. That's trippy. Any Spielberg? Oh, there's one. Sorry, one Spielberg. But that that Spielberg list that made that didn't make the final. Um, he's not going to be. An, it's not an honorable mention. It's tough. Well, in all honesty, Spielberg's like last 10 years haven't been the greatest. Okay, but back to my boy, Denis Villeneuve, who, by the way, is Canadian. Yeah, Quebecois, right? Yeah, Quebecois. Quebecois. The cinematography, the score, the plotting, the pacing, the direction of this film is jaw-dropping. This was nominated for Best Picture this year, and rightfully so. I love this movie. I love... And I... Again, this is another movie that... I Well, you know, I guess I could take a look, but I'm not too worried about it. I'm pretty sure this movie made some pretty decent money, but I know a lot of people didn't go check it out because they thought it was just going to be an alien invasion movie. And there could be nothing further from the truth. This movie is not about aliens invading. This is about trying to communicate and learn <laughs> and to grapple with some really deep meanings that I'm not willing to really talk about as that it would be a massive spoiler for this film. Yeah, I mean, without... Uh, I'm sorry to jump in, but no, no. 
Um, without any spoilers, I think the structure of this movie is one of the things <sighs> that I love about it because it ties so well into the into the thematic elements of it. Like Denis Villeneuve has such a way of using the 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 story structure to to accentuate what he's trying to say instead of just using it as sort of a gimmick like um i I guess sort of a bad example but like um there are so many bad tarantino imitators out there who just think that cutting your movie up into pieces and reversing the the chronologies of it makes it smart um but i think uh what arrival does with the concept of time is so groundbreaking and so interesting especially in regard to its own story i agree the funny thing you want the funny thing is is that it takes me for a split second i always think it's jessica chastain leading this movie <laughs> yeah the other uh cute redhead yeah and that's to say like that's to say nothing of amy adams who again is just a spectacular actress mhm i think she's been so underrated completely underrated like underrated for someone i think that's had like five oscar nominations yeah, I guess. True. <laughs> yeah, that's just true. not. I. I just honestly, don't, I don't think that Amy Adams is like a household name. Yeah, like, I don't. Think she's you... not. She's not the Mount Rushmore of uh, of actresses from the teens, anyway. Yeah. Um. But her. Perform- also, I think. I think oh. you. Uh, you talked about the score just briefly. I wanted to give a shout out to the late great Johan Johansson, who uh, who made the score for several consecutive uh, Villeneuve movies, and uh, passed away. I think. I think this was his final score, if uh, if memory serves. I can double check that. Yeah, um, I, I just wanted to say that because he, he's super talented. I think he worked on Prisoners. He worked on Sicario. He worked on. Uh, he worked on Arrival, and he's he was a brilliant guy. Died tragically young. Um, I, I guess uh, the reason why Arrival didn't quite make my list, um, I, I, it's kind of a balancing act when you're making a list like this because I wanted to not give into recency bias. I, I didn't want to just list movies that I've watched recently. I wanted to watch movies from, or I wanted to list movies from the entire decade. But on the other hand, I mean, if I didn't uh, go through the effort to rewatch a movie, I wouldn't go out of my way to include it. So I think this is just one of those ones that. Uh, is very very good. I've seen it probably twice or three times, um, but maybe not in some time. Um, again, like I said off the top, if I were to make this list again tomorrow, it might come out different. I'm not totally sure. I don't. I, this wasn't one of the ones on the cusp for me. This wasn't like a final cut one, but it was very very good. And it was uh, it was on that that big list off the beginning of like 40 or so, and then uh, and then was a cut. Yeah, uh, your boy had six more films he scored after Arrival. Oh God! Yeah, he pa- he no. passed away. And it looks like probably either 2018 or maybe early 2019 because he's got four 2018 films. Okay. But yeah, it's Just- it's too bad because he was definitely quickly climbing up the charts of composers that I was going to be keeping a, a pretty good eye on. Yeah, you and me both. The, like you mentioned, the way the film is laid out, uh, with kind of like a little bit of a fractured timeline plays out really well in this film and i love the heptapods i loved the design of these aliens they're unlike anything you've ever seen and oh and then the last thing i want to touch on is the chemistry between amy adams and jeremy renner there isn't heat between them it's not like this hot romance 
it's just these two really good actors bouncing off one another and the scenes that they have together really 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 work for me and they're both playing scientists it's just it's just such a great movie honestly you know i don't know if i can actually say this without kind of spoiling something no you know what i think it'll be i i think it's fine I honestly, I think one of the main reasons that I have this on my list is because I'm a father. Mm-hmm. Being a parent definitely heightens this film. And I, I distinctly remember after watching this movie, I can still remember when I even had the thought when I was driving home, I just wanted to go home and hold my child. That's all I wanted. I wanted to go home and just grab my daughter and hold her closely. Yeah, I, without, again, try not to spoil too much for this movie, but I remember thinking, like, the dramatic question of this movie that the the filmmaker is asking the audience, really, is if you knew everything was going to be awful, if you knew everything was going to go to shit, and if you knew it was going to be, it was going to wind up horribly, but you knew it would make you happy in the short term, would you still do it? That's sort of the... That's sort of the dramatic question, and it's not really just like it's not the sh- like it's not the short term. Yeah, not the yeah. If you, if you could get some long term happiness out of something, yeah, because you're right, it's not really short term. But if you could get some happiness out of something, uh, while knowing it has a tragic ending, would you still do it? And for for me, like I won't again. I'm not spoiling anything. For me, the answer is an easy yes. Yeah, and to get. To use an example that I can, and this might be <laughs> this might be diving a little into, into something a little personal, but you know, so what? Let's do it. Mm. It's actually it's it's an easy yes for me because a simple analogy for me is actually falling in love. Mm-hmm. I love being in love, and I go in knowing there's a pretty good chance I'm gonna have my heart broken. And I've had my heart broken. I've had my heart ripped out of my chest, sadly, several times. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't trade those heartbreaks for not having the good memories that came before them. All the great times I had with the women I've loved were worth it, even though the pain I felt when it didn't work out f- forever forever and ever is still worth it to me i wouldn't trade it for at at all i think the easy solution is just to find someone you have as deep a connection with as you have with your podcast partner that would be (laughs) that there's no bond greater than that of uh, of two podcast partners i agree wholeheartedly yeah hence why i've been single for close to four years (laughs) I didn't mean to diminish what it was you were saying because you're totally right. By the way, you're you're completely right uh, about everything as always. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't couldn't let you leave that without making a joke. Well, see if you're gonna say I'm right all the time. How is any woman gonna live up to that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why we're such good friends. Exactly. So, uh, my favorite scene. Honestly, I can't pick one, and I think it's because I honestly don't feel there's actually a standout scene in this movie i think it's just a great movie from start to finish there's no one scene that i would show somebody to 
give them an idea on how great this movie is. It's just really good from start to finish. So I don't know if there was a scene that stood out for you, Sam. I'm trying to think. Um, I, I like the the initial encounter with Abbott and Costello. Mm-hmm. That, that's their or that's their names, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the two aliens. I like the initial encounter where uh, Amy Adams is teaching them the the name for human. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a that's a really fun scene. Um, I, I actually I wanted to say about Jeremy Renner as well. If there's one thing that demotes this movie for me, it's that Jeremy Renner is totally underutilized. I agree about his rapport with Amy Adams, but I, I would have loved more from him. And that's probably just a personal thing. I just love Jeremy Renner as an actor. I just felt like I needed more out of him, even yeah. though it wasn't his movie and it wasn't his story. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I can totally understand that. And I agree with you again. I'm a huge fan of Jeremy Renner as an actor. Yeah. Uh, my favorite quote, again, it's kind of a little bit of a scene, so i got to play it out for you. <laughs> <clears throat> it's actually short. It's actually right after the scene you just mentioned uh, where they met Abin Costello for the first time. Oh, man, I didn't prepare any scenes. I prepared quotes, but i, I got to step my game up here. I gotta my well, my favorite life. quotes, my favorite quotes kind of come with you got to have the scene to get the, to understand. Have the context, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, so Colonel Weber and Dr. Luis Banks talking to one another. Uh, I don't want to take away from your success, but Dr. Banks, is it really the right approach? Trying to teach him how to speak and read, that's going to take long. You're wrong. It's faster. Everything you do here, I have to explain to a room full of men whose first and last question is how can this be used against us? So you'll have to give me more than that. Kangaroo. What is that? In 1770, Captain James Cook's ship ran aground off the coast of Australia and led a party where they found the Aboriginal people. One of the sailors pointed to the animals that hop around and put their babies in their pouch. And he asked what they were. The Aborigines said kangaroo. And your point is... It wasn't until later that they learned that kangaroo means I don't understand. <laughs> so I need this so that we don't misinterpret things in here. Otherwise, it's going to take 10 times as long. I can sell that for now, but I need you to submit your vocabulary of words before the next session. Remember what happened to the Aborigines? A more advanced race nearly wiped them out. Colonel Weber leaves. Jeremy Renner's Ian Donnelly says, it's a good story. Dr. Louise Banks replies, thanks. It's not true, but it proves my point. <laughs> yeah that that is an excellent uh, excellent quote i'm glad you uh delivered on the full scene yeah i could use some more uh some more eccentric voice acting just so you know a few more different tones definitely in the future, but that's fine i know hard to differentiate between who's speaking <laughs> i'll try that better if when i have uh scenes later on i'm just i'm just joking it's all right sam <laughs> you're number eight my number eight is also from 2016 what it is uh la la land the movie that was crowned best picture for all of about two minutes before having it being stripped away and taken away by Moonlight. So this movie is written and directed by the great Damien Chazelle and it stars Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. Uh, this one bumped up my Metascore a bit. Uh, this is a 93. Um, the plot of the movie is while navigating their careers in Los Angeles, a pianist and an actress fall in love while attempting to reconcile their aspirations for the future. Manny, do you have anything you want to say before I go diving on in? You didn't even ask if this was on my list. Is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be on your list. <clears throat> I didn't ask, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love this film. Yeah. Love this film. And while I don't have the list in front of me, it's possible that this is in my honorable mentions. Okay. That's fair. It definitely, it 100% was in the in that 29. 
Yeah, no doubt. Um, Continue. I, I am not a musicals guy, really. I'm not opposed to them as a rule. Um, but I, I've not traditionally been a guy who's been enamored with musicals. I don't really care for um, elaborate dance numbers or anything like that. But this movie spoke to me in such a way uh, that I would be remiss not to mention it on this list. Um, the <clears throat> First of all, the soundtrack. The songs are so ridiculously catchy. I think City of Stars is one oh. of the best songs to be written for a movie this decade. Um, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone uh, both perform fantastically through the entire thing. Um, there's even a scene with Emma Stone acting in an audition in the movie, and even that performance in that audition is extraordinary. Yes. <laughs> which, which is so funny to me. Um, I think it's so ridiculously well acted. This actually netted Emma Stone the Best, act- best Actress Oscar this year. Um, the soundtrack is great. This the color palette of this movie is so rich oh, and beautiful. So um, beautiful. Uh, if, if you remember, Manny, the song "Some Someone in the Crowd" is that the name of it? Uh, there's just like the costuming and uh, and the colors are so beautiful and vibrant. Uh, it's a wonderfully constructed movie. Um, I like the. Uh, non-traditional nature of it so it plays like a traditional musical sort of right up until about the halfway point um, and then it sort of gives you the the real relationship stuff, the arguments the, the concessions the, um, <clears throat> the, the name calling all this stuff um, it's such a realistic look at relationships, it's a realistic look at the sacrifices one makes to become famous and to become great um, it, it's such a touching and heartbreaking movie all in all. Um, I, I, I just want to say that I, I'm going to get right into my favorite scene, uh, because it just ties in thematically to it so well. The ending again, try not to spoil it too much. But the ending is so perfect for this movie. Uh, it's basically everyone's pick as everyone that I've talked to who's watched this movie has chosen the ending for their favorite scene in the movie, basically, because it's just a look, look back at what could have been. It's basically what the traditional musical ending to this movie would have been and how it would have gone if, if they maybe lived in a different time or if they had met each other at different periods in their lives and how perfect their lives could have been together, which makes the, the tragedy of the ending just that much more heart wrenching and that much more bittersweet. Um, uh, I, I I love that scene entirely. Um, a- anything else you want to say before I go to my favorite quote? I absolutely love this movie. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely love this movie. Uh, you were talking about how vibrant it looked on screen. Uh, it did win best cinematography and best production design that year. No surprise. Absolutely no surprise. Especially the cinematography, the camera movements by Chazelle, and the palette he has on screen is just jaw dropping. The only problem I have with this movie uh, is that minor nitpick, because I am a fan of musicals when they're good. <laughs> which this one is. Which this one is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Gosling's dancing isn't quite up up to snuff. <laughs> that's, that's entirely fair. It's, I mean, that's uh, a um, reasonable point. That's probably, honestly, my biggest nitpick. Yeah, the there's, re- a little, there's a little tap dancing scene. Um uh, what is it? What a waste of a wonderful night! Is that the name of the song? Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a little tap dance number in there where he 
I, I like it because he looks so nonchalant, but in a way, he does. it lo- comes off a little bit lazy the way he's dancing. Again, not that I'm a total musical or, or dance expert in any way, shape, or form. But yeah, he, he's not quite there with the dancing. Um, he did, however, learn to play piano for this movie, and I got to tell you, it's almost seamless. Holy fuck. When, he, when he's playing the piano in, uh, in the bar in J.K. Simmons' restaurant, uh, when he's playing the piano there and he just breaks out... Uh, the song is called Seven Mia's Theme, and he, he's playing it, and it slowly devolves into this jazzy musical mess. And his thing, but his playing, the camera does not cut, and his playing is flawless. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. His performance in that film is just spectacular. He unfortunately didn't have much of a chance of winning, as that was Casey Affleck in Manchester by the Sea. Fuck yeah. Powerhouse performance. Uh huh. But he's so good in this movie and the chemistry between him and Emma Stone is great carried over from when they were together in uh crazy stupid love mm-hmm. it's a it's a great it's a great great film and I'm so happy to see it on your list yeah and I think this movie does get a bad rap too because even though I mean it, hey it was nominated for best picture and it, and it won it briefly um and it won all these accolades so how could it possibly get a bad rap I I think more casual movie fans view this one as like a oh this one's for the critics this one's for the pretentious moviegoers but mm-hmm. it's not like a lot of fun it, it's just like it's something that film in air quotes fans like but it's not for me um i think that could not be further for the truth i think there's something in this movie for everyone it's it's a ton of fun and i think there's something to be learned in it from from everyone or for everyone um but yeah i, I I've talked to some people about this movie and it seems to be pretty polarizing in, uh, in the film community, but I think it's beautiful. I think it's a wonderful movie. Um, I also, I didn't list my favorite quote, um, but there's a scene where uh, Emma Stone confesses to Ryan Gosling uh, as they're just starting to date. She says, I gotta say, I gotta get this out of the way. I hate jazz. <laughs> and <laughs> he, he's trying not to overreact. And you know, at this point in the movie, just how important jazz is to his jazz is to him and how important it is that the girl he's dating be a fan of jazz so then it cuts to the scene of them uh in a jazz diner listening to music and he's explaining this whole thing and why it's beautiful and why she needs to like it and he he just says it's conflict and it's compromise and it's just it's new every time it's brand new every night it's very very exciting and it's dying oh man the when the music stops and he says and it's dying it you can feel the emotion and why this is so important to him. And I've been that guy. And I think you've been that guy too. We're not necessarily about jazz, but just about anything that you're passionate about, like movies, for instance, Movies, yeah. when you need somebody to understand why something is great and why something is beautiful. And you just want them to see this thing the way that you do. And I, I loved that, that moment. It's, it's so fun. It's so, it's so interesting to me. I uh, agree 100%. For me, it, yeah, it's not about jazz or music. It's either I'm either passionately describing film mm-hmm. or baseball. Yeah, the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> no, not the not the Red Sox. Just yeah. baseball, because a lot of people that don't really truly understand the sport can't quite see the beauty of it. They yeah. think it's slow and boring, and they don't understand how intricate and how great it is. And even though it's a team sport, it's actually a battle between two people. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, I don't want to go off on too big of a baseball rant there, but <laughs> I, I agree that that scene where Sebastian is explaining his love of jazz to her is spectacular. Anyway, that's uh, that's La La Land for me. That's my number eight. Uh, it's a beautiful movie. I implore people to watch it if they haven't already. Uh, Manny, I believe that brings us to your number eight. It does. 
And my number eight is from 2018. And it is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Ooh, not on my list. Yeah. Go for it, sir. Uh, directed by uh, Bob Piroschetti, Rodney Rothman, and Peter Ramsey. Written by Phil Lord and Rodney Rothman. Starring Shamik Moore, Chris Pine, Jake Johnson, Hailey Stangfield, and Nicolas Cage. Has a meta score of 87, motherfucker! <laughs> I like how this has become like an internal competition, too. <laughs> Who likes the, the higher-rated movies? Uh, the plot... Teen Miles Morales becomes Spider-Man of his reality, crossing his past with five counterparts, for, sorry, five counterparts from other dimensions to stop a threat for all realities. Ooh. This was my favorite film of 2018. It was my number one. The numerous reasons that I love this film, but the main reason is the animation. This is the closest I've ever seen to a comic book coming to life on the big screen. The animation, the writing, the vocal performances were all jaw-dropping. And it was literally like watching a comic book come to life. The animation was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. The perform the vocal performances were so fucking amazing. Nicolas Cage was so much fun. Chris Pine, I, and I didn't actually know that Chris Pine was in the movie, and I'm, I th- I'm almost positive it was T Bone. He's sitting next to me, and he's like, "That's Chris Pine." I'm like, "It's not fucking Chris Pine. He's not in this fucking movie." And it was the one to like uh, because him and I are ultra competitive. It's one of the very few times I had to pull up my phone in the middle of a movie, and I had to. Whoa! Look. You yeah. did what? I fucking did. I hid it though. Like it was in my pocket. I think it was in my hoodie, so I had it in the in the kangaroo pouch. I can't fucking believe you. Oh, I know. Trust me. (laughs) But I had to know. And I was wrong. Chris Pine is in this movie. And uh, he gives an an absolutely great performance. Um, Lee Schreiber as Kingpin. Unbelievable. But it's Jake Johnson as Peter B. Parker. That steals the show. He is fucking hilarious from start to finish this movie um the score especially when the night prowler is on the screen is so good but that almost scream like score whenever he's on screen really gets my like my heart pumping i'm i'm like oh my god i'm on edge and i'm I'm like i again i rewatched this recently and I was like, I even know what happens, and I'm still kind of freaking out. <laughs> the One of the other reasons I love this movie even more now, I didn't realize at the time, but thanks to my good friend and podcast partner, Sam, this movie references Jackie Robinson numerous times. And after knowing that and looking for it, it happens so many times it just makes my heart swell. Yeah, I forget. Um, <coughs> I think uh, one of the spiders in the lab is number 42 uh-huh. or something. Um, I, I can't remember. There's a, there's a few different instances of 42 in the movie that a lot of Hitchhiker's Guide fans will think is for them. But nay, it is uh, for Mr. Jackie Robinson of the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yeah. The This movie is so funny. I I was st- I like I said I just rewatched it recently and I was still laughing numerous times throughout the movie. And Shamik Moore 
as Miles Morales. I don't have much of a connection to the Miles Morales Spider-Man. I actually have never read one comic with Miles Morales as Spider-Man. But I kind of want to read a lot now. And this might have... I can't go that high, so I'm going to go... This might have one of the top ten favorite shots of the decade. And that's when... We're not spoiling anything. When Miles first gets his costume, his real costume, not the one at the beginning. Yeah. And he it's it I'm not spoiling anything because it's in all the trailers and it's even on the poster is when he dives off the side of the building and he's falling upwards on the screen and the whole skyline. It is a gorgeous shot. And we're talking about animation and it is jaw droppingly gorgeous. Yeah, I think I mentioned this uh, last year when we talked about this movie. It was only the third movie since the Best Animated Feature category came out, if I recall, to take down a mighty Pixar movie. Um, yeah, Incredibles 2. Yeah, it took down The Incredibles 2, which I love. I Don't get me wrong, I, I, I love Pixar as a whole, but I think it's so much better for the genre entirely if uh, there are other studios putting out quality films like this one. Um, this, I don't think it was on my list. I can't remember. Um, I don't, I don't I, think it was. Yeah, because I think I hadn't seen it yet. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I hadn't seen it yet, so it wasn't on my list last year. But goddamn, I can tell you it would be now because it's it's one of the best animated movies maybe ever. It's it's gorgeously animated. It's, it's uh, very touching as well. Even as a fan of – I'm a fan of all the movie Spider-Man. I, I, I grew up on the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Um, I didn't watch The Amazing Spider-Man, but – uh, and I didn't read any of the comics either, but I think given that this, uh, it references so many different Spider-Man movies, yes. there's something in it for everyone. Even if you're not a Spider-Man fan, I think there's something in it for you. It's, uh, it's a really fun movie. Um, the, the moment I knew I was going to like this movie was right at the beginning, the reference to Spider-Man 3. If you can remember the, the scene of Peter Parker walking down the street. Yes. I knew instantly that I was going to love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my favorite scene is Peter, uh, Peter B. Parker and Miles breaking in and out of Alchemex for the same joke that when I saw it in the theater, like had me dying laughing and I don't think, I'm pretty sure I, I, I know I went with T when I'm, oh, and Kyle, my friend Kyle was there. Oh, I think I'm going to sneeze. I'll keep going, but I might have to sneeze. <laughs> it's this tiny joke that I, neither one of them caught at the time and they were so confused as to why I was dying laughing but Miles grabs this bagel and they're running away and Peter tells him to throw the bagel and he throws it over his shoulder and you're not following the bagel with your eyes because the bagel's going one direction and you're obviously following Miles and Peter but the bagel hits one of these bad guys and on the screen it goes bagel <laughs> there's a little action mark right? a little action mark that's both writes bagel and you hear this little bagel. It's fucking, it had me in stitches laughing. That is not my favorite quote though, but the breaking I just want to say before you go into your favorite quote, sorry, that we talk all the time about the little things making the movie. That's one of them right there. Yes. That's, they did not need to include that. You just said that some of your friends didn't even notice it on the first watch. The only reason I noticed it is because you pointed it out before I watched the movie. Um, but yeah, the little things making the movie right there. Oh, so true. Uh, my favorite quote, I have two. Okay. And one is because it's 
it was it's the delivery of it is so hilarious and the other one is actually because it actually got a very deep emotional response from me so i'm going to go with the funny one first and it's when they meet uh spider-man noir for the first time mr nicholas cage right? mr nicholas cage and for those that haven't seen the movie i'm not spoiling anything but uh spider-man noir even though they are in this vibrant beautiful city he's in black and white and he goes hey fellas Miles goes, is he in black and white? And then Peter Parker goes, where's that wind coming from? We're in a basement. <laughs> and then Spider-Man Noir says, wherever I go, the wind follows. And the wind smells like rain. <laughs> I fucking love Nicolas Cage. Yeah, he's it's... So, we need to review more Nicolas Cage movies because oh, I... he's so ridiculous. There's a, It's about a coin flip chance that any performance he gives is going to be batshit insane or really good. Yeah. The other quote I love, again, small scene. Uh, Miles goes into a store to buy a Spider-Man costume because the Peter Parker in his reality has been killed. And he goes in and it's a Stan Lee cameo. And this is actually after Stan had died. And I wasn't quite ready to see him again as his death really hit me more than I anticipated. So... The quote goes, uh, Miles buys a Spider-Man costume, and Stan, as he's buying it, goes, I'm going to miss him. And Miles says, yeah. And Stan goes, we were friends, you know. And it kills me. Even watching <laughs> it again recently, it got me almost teary-eyed. I fucking love Stanley, And that quote, we were friends, you know, really hits home for me that's my number eight man gorgeous i love it i love every bit of that awesome <clears throat> samuel you're number seven my friend my number seven is a movie that we have talked about on the podcast before Ooh. episode 49 which we discussed with jordan spires that was the 2018 movie annihilation holy shit Holy shit is right. Judging I, by your shocked reaction, I take it you uh, did not have this on your list. Not on my list. Wow. I, I, I love point out that this the, is on your list. In the four movies I've listed out, I have two 2019s and 2018. The early half of the two 20-teens is slacking right now. Annihilation. Annihilation is right. Fucking A. Well done, <laughs> sir. Annihilation, uh, as I said, came out in 2018. It was written and directed by Alex Garland. Uh, it's starring the likes of Natalie Portman, Jennifer Jason Lee, Tessa Thompson, Gina Rodriguez, our boy Oscar Isaac. Sitting at a respectable 79 Metascore, uh, the plot is a biologist signs up for a dangerous secret expedition into a mysterious zone where the laws of nature don't apply. Uh, Manny, anything you want to say before I dive into this thing? I'm astounded this is on your list. Why are you astounded? This was my second favorite movie last year. It was? Yeah. Fuck, I don't remember that. I'm going to have to re-listen to that episode. Yeah, man. This was this was so high on my list. Hot damn. I like Oh, wow. Yeah. No, I I this is this is one of the movies that I so regret not seeing on the big screen. I would mm-hmm. have loved to have seen this on the big screen because it is so visually stunning. 
and has the- and has probably oh, one of my one of my favorite scenes. Oh, we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I'm. I'm not. Don't get me wrong. My my shock. My shock is only that this movie is is on your list. That doesn't think that I don't think it's worthy. Yeah. I think and it's. Again, I think it's just the recency of it. Yeah. And I know that you haven't forgotten this, but I like to remind the people at home that this is favorite movies i'm not by no means saying that this is the, the seventh best movie that came out in the teens this is my seventh favorite movie that came out in the teens it's a very personal thing yeah there's a slight difference there um what can i say about this movie that we didn't already say in episode 49 but to uh to recap uh it's a it's a brilliant sci-fi movie high concept very interesting movie um the use of limited dialogue towards the end has always struck me as very interesting the visuals are insane uh the the animals that you see in in this place uh the shimmer uh all the visuals that you see in this place are so mind-blowing and freaky um there's some terrifying scenes in this movie even for a movie that i don't consider to be a horror movie um it's more of a sci-fi um natalie portman's performance is fantastic uh there's a scene right at the beginning where she's being interrogated and it seems like she may have experienced some memory loss um that just sets up the rest of the movie so goddamn well um there there's so many good moments in this movie again if you want to hear the full thoughts on it i encourage you to go back and listen to the episode but it's just such an interesting concept so well delivered so well acted um, these characters uh, are so interesting, and there's a lot to lot to discover there. Um, the final 15 minutes of this movie, I have no fucking clue what's happening. All I know is that it looks gorgeous on screen. <laughs> um, Alex Garland is a is a brilliant, brilliant man, and I was so happy that he came out with this movie because it, it blew my mind. Uh, it's one of the most original movies uh, that's come out this year, and of course, it should be noted. Excuse me, that. Uh, this was uh, based off of a novel. So it's not like he came up with this idea himself, but God damn, if it didn't ever look good on the big screen. Interesting. Sorry. You look like you're looking something up. I just wanted to see what else, like I know that he directed Ex Machina, which I fucking loved. I was just mm-hmm. wondering if he's been working on anything else. Apparently he's got a TV miniseries coming out this year. Interesting. Uh, yeah, the uh, the scene that I know you're referring to and that I'm referring to uh, was I I can't remember how it went in the Sampas last year, but it had to. It was at least a candidate for both of us oh, for a de- scene of the year. De- oh, definitely, a hundred percent was a candidate. I'm pretty sure. No, I know for a fact it didn't win. I shouldn't say I know for a fact. It couldn't have. It couldn't have won. Yeah. The ghost bear. Oh. The ghost bear is such a terrifying scene. And again, it's in the midst of a moment where you don't even really know what's happening. One of the characters is losing her mind and threatening to mutilate some of the other members of the squad. And it is already such a horrifying scene. And then you hear a shriek uh, that you don't really understand or a scream. Um, and this... I don't even want to describe the scene because if you haven't seen it already, it's chilling and so well directed and so tense. Uh, it, it's one of the craziest scenes that I've ever seen ever in a movie. Um, and that scene alone might be reason enough for this to be on my list. But uh, yeah, the ghost bear scene far and away, hands down, best scene of the movie. Uh, my favorite quote 
is uh, it's from Ventress at the end. Um, again, in this scene where it's such a high concept, interesting thing happening towards the end, but she's describing the force that's taken over in the shimmer. And Ventress says, it's not like us. It's unlike us. I don't know what it wants or if it wants, but it'll grow until it encompasses everything. Our bodies and minds will be fragmented into their smallest parts until not one part remains. Annihilation. Chilling quote. Nice. I, I love that quote. And then uh, and then shortly after, there's an encounter with the antagonist. But I don't want to. I, I can't talk too much about this movie because half of the fun of it is the discovery of this interesting, beautiful, twisted, fucked up world that we're introduced to in it. So I want to stop talking about it and implore people once again to go see this movie uh, because which, it was my seventh favorite of the decade. Which I'm pretty sure is available on Netflix because I think Netflix has the international rights. So I think it's going to be on there. Like I, I don't think. think- you- I think you are correct. Yeah, yeah, it should be available on Netflix. So I encourage people, anyone who hasn't seen this movie should go watch it. If yes. you, especially if you're a sci-fi nerd. If you're a sci-fi nerd and you haven't seen this movie, I don't know what the fuck you're smoking Shame or what you're doing with you. your life. You should be ashamed of yourself. And yeah. You should shut off this podcast and go listen to it. But not actually because Manny needs to give us number seven. That's true. My number seven is the movie that I predicted without a shadow of a doubt is on your list. Okay. So if it's not, I'm honestly going to be mind blown. Okay. Not that it's a bad thing. Like I'm only putting on it's, I don't think it's, if it's not on there, I'm only going to be mind blown because I actually think I know you and your tastes. Oh, oh. so my number seven is the 2014 film whiplash. Is on my list. Okay, I figured. <laughs> little, little higher. I figured it might be a little bit higher than seven. It's a little bit higher up there. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. All right. So that 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 right there was my. I am one hundred percent sure it's on your list. Yeah, that was that's definitely on my list. Okay. Well, then let's right. move on to your number six. Well, let me ask you, Manny. Are you sick of talking about Alex Garland yet? Holy <laughs> shit. Ex Machina is your number six. The 2014 sci-fi, again, mind-bending movie, Ex Machina, written and directed by Alex Garland, starring Donald Gleeson, Oscar Isaac, Alicia Vikander, sitting at a, again, respectable metascore of 78. The plot is a young programmer is selected to participate in a groundbreaking experiment in synthetic intelligence by evaluating the human qualities of a highly advanced humanoid AI. Manny, you are again shocked. I am astounded that this is on your list. Really? Yeah, again. It has nothing to do with the fact or the quality of this film because this movie is great. I've only seen it once. I definitely want to revisit it. Mm-hmm. I think I, I I think my shock <clears throat> my shock comes from not from the film itself, but that you chose it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess so. I mean there's there's a lot of good movies and again mm-hmm. I, I talked about how much I struggled with this list. I think this and Annihilation were both probably gonna make my list no matter what. But yeah, th- I struggled a lot with the order, so I-, I can I can see where your surprise comes from at least. I'm interested. There's only five more ahead of this. I'm interested because I had I had a couple thoughts on some movies that I was pretty sure were going to be on it, and we're starting to we're starting to get down there. Yeah, we got we got a few spots left. All right. Well, why don't you tell tell the listeners why Ex Machina is the sixth 
favorite movie of the decade for you? Um, I'm going to be using a lot of the same words I was just using for Annihilation. <laughs> Mind-bending, fucked up, sci-fi, interesting. Um, it, it's one of the most interesting concepts uh, that I've seen this year. Uh, the idea of AI really fascinates me. Um, the, <clears throat> the, the main plot of this movie, I guess, is that Oscar Isaac is this, uh, uh, one of our favorites, Oscar Isaac, of course. Um, he's this tech mogul he's like a bill gates type except young and attractive um he he invites donald gleason who's one of uh the programmers hired by his company he invites him to his like secret lair out in the woods and has him uh give a turing test to an ai which is basically a test to see uh if it's uh essentially human or if it's um well if it's truly an ai um i, I this movie is so much fun the uh, in the, the scenes between Donald Gleason and Elisa Vikander, who plays this AI, are really interesting and fun. It's not your typical sci-fi movie at all. It's more about uh, the ideas and the tension. There's no big flashy action sequence. Uh, this AI does not have laser beams on it. It's not shooting anyone. It's not a. Uh, it's not a. Uh, you know, it's not a Star Wars movie. It's it, it's a thought-provoking movie about what it means to be human and what it means to be machine and it's uh, a movie about manipulation and it's it's uh it's so up in the air right until the very end you have no idea what's going to happen right until the very end and it's tense throughout the entire thing and it's beautifully shot and alex garland is a genius um i don't want to spoil too much but my favorite scene is uh caleb our main character there's a scene of him looking at himself in the mirror, uh, if you recall this, and uh, <clears throat> you're looking like you maybe don't, but the, there's a scene of him looking in the mirror after one of his sessions with uh, the AI, and he's beginning to question whether or not uh, he might be uh, the one being tested, and he uh, he performs a certain test on himself, which I won't, uh, which I won't divulge, but it is a messy, messed up scene. That, uh, I, that I, I love is one of the most tense scenes uh, in recent memory. Um, <clears throat> my favorite quote from the movie, and I should note that Oscar Isaac is oh. one of the most charismatic people in the world right now. And he, he plays a super charismatic, fun, uh, fun, eccentric billionaire in this movie. And uh, there's, there's a scene where um, Caleb has just watched, um, I, I don't want to even like set it up. Uh, he, he uh, let's just say Oscar Isaac's character tears up a drawing at one point and Caleb calls him out on and he says hey uh, you tore up her drawing and uh, Oscar Isaac's character just goes I'm gonna tear up the fucking dance floor dude check it out and he, just, <laughs> he starts discoing with his assistant with like the this built in uh, this built in uh, disco ball and uh, sound system in his house he's the most eccentric crazy billionaire in this movie I love his character um I encourage anyone to watch this movie. Again, I think this is on Netflix. Um, so you should definitely give this a watch. It's a very thought-provoking movie. Don't go in expecting to see a whole lot of action because it's a lot of conversation. Uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of um, intrigue uh, would be the word. So, yeah, Ex Machina, number six. Fucking A. Well done, sir. <laughs> All right. My number six is from the beginning of the decade. It's from 2010. And this film 
is this little ditty called Toy Story 3. Whoa! Not on my list. Yeah. Uh, directed by Lee Unkrich, written by John Lasseter, Andrew Stanton, Lee Unkrich, and Michael Arndt. Starring Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Joan Cusack, and Ned Beatty. Has a meta score of motherfucking 92? <laughs> I almost spat on my water. That's what Manny's laughing at. <laughs> spat on my water. The plot. Goddamn. Mm. The toys are mistakenly delivered to a daycare center instead of the attic right before Andy leaves for college. And it's up to Woody to convince the other toys that they weren't abandoned and to return home. I have made it quite clear over the course of 86 episodes how much Toy Story 3 means to me. This movie is emotionally bonded to me and wrecks me every time I see it. This movie is emotionally fulfilling while I say it wrecks me, it wrecks me in both ways. There's a scene in the middle that is devastating to watch. And the scene at the end is just perfectly encapsulates the way I feel about a lot of things that I hold dear. Now in the movie, it's Andy and his toys. For me, I have an emotional bond to some toys when I was younger, but there are other things that I carry this kind of bond to. So what he was, the end scene just rips me apart in a good way. And even when I, if I try to explain to people both that middle scene or the end if I start getting into details, I can feel the tears welling up in my eyes. One of the I'm other, surprised there, I'm surprised there haven't been any tears yet. By the way, I mean we're still only about halfway through the list, but I'm surprised there <laughs> haven't been any tears from either of us. I know. Um, one of the other reasons I love this film, because I'm talking about at the time, it at the time wrapped up the Toy Story perfectly. Now. They have released another Toy Story, which I felt was completely unnecessary. And after watching it, I was so incredibly entertained. I absolutely loved Toy Story 4. But Toy Story 3 wrapped up that... I don't even want to call it a trilogy because I don't think it was ever envisioned as a trilogy. But it wrapped up that story so perfectly that again at the time I think it's one of the reasons that it really elevated that movie for me again I love Toy Story 4 it was so fun so entertaining and such a great movie and while it ended it again I guess it ended this these characters arc somewhat if they make a Toy Story 5 I will of course be there because <laughs> like even though I oh, I don't even know I don't know what I put it in the fourth spot, either Toy Story 4 or Toy Story 2. But even that, like, the worst Toy Story film is probably still... The, the worst Toy Story film is still easily in my top 20 of animated movies. Possibly all four could even make my top 10 animated movies. Yeah. But, like, 
easily all four 100% in my top 20. Um this movie's fucking hilarious. And while I don't think the humor in it holds up to the same level on repeated viewings, it's still funny. And what I mean by that is the first time watching it in the theater, I'm like gut-busting laughing. Watching it now, I'll probably just get a nice chuckle. Does that make sense? Totally, totally makes sense. Uh, I love the introduction to of Ken, played by Michael Keaton. He almost steals the movie away. And then, <clears throat> obviously, the garbage furnace scene and Andy giving his toys to Bonnie, <laughs> which I wrote in parentheses, writing that alone nearly brought me to tears. <laughs> him, giving the, him giving the toy box to Bonnie? Yeah. Yeah. Toy Story I... 4 is just, it's a very personal film to me. Toy Story 3? Three, yeah. Sorry, I said four, didn't I? Yeah. Toy Story three is very is a very personal film to me. I uh, I can't disagree with anything that you said. It is a beautiful movie, as is just about everything made by Pixar, not called Cars. Oh, agreed. <laughs> um, it, it's a it's a gorgeous movie. It, it wasn't on my list. Um, it's not going to be in my honorable mentions, primarily because it's not my it's not even my favorite Pixar movie of this decade. There was a few others that came out this decade that I thought were quite good. So it was never in serious contention for my list. And I've also uh, previously brought up the fact and died on this hill that it's not my favorite of the Toy Story movies. That would be Toy Story 2. Yes, man, he's holding up a little too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I can't disagree with anything you said. Every every moment that you listed is as emotional as you said. Um, it's probably just a testament to the quality of Pixar movies and the Toy Story trilogy as a whole. Just that it's – I think it's suffered for me – from the fact that it just wasn't the best version of itself, in my opinion. And I, you know what? I, I shouldn't even say I shouldn't even say that it suffered because it's still enjoyable in and of itself. Of course, it's a great movie. It's just it's just not as good as some others, in my opinion. If you know, if I, if I think if I sit down and actually kind of critique the movies, like the Toy Story films, mm -hmm. I think I would probably come to the final conclusion that while I love three the most. I think as a movie itself, I think it doesn't hold up. I think the emotional, the emotions I feel from the garbage furnace and the ending just overwhelm me to the point that I can't see past it. That's And that's totally fine. I mean, movies are supposed to be an emotional experience. I can't fault you for saying you liked it best because it made you feel the most emotional because that's what movies do. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, I for a long time, I thought that Up was my favorite Pixar movie because of how emotional that movie gets at certain points. Um, but it's not. It's uh, it, just those two points are very good. So, yeah, yes. I, I can see why this movie uh, ranks so highly for you. It's not on my list, but I can't fault you in one bit. It's a great movie. All right. My favorite scene, Andy giving his toys to Bonnie. I'm not going to talk about it because I will cry. <laughs> So my favorite quote is actually from that scene, and hopefully, oh, good can, luck. <laughs> hopefully I can get through it without crying. So here we I'll go. I'll be shocked. All right, here we go. Now, Woody, he's been my pal for as long as I can remember. He's brave like a cowboy should be, and kind and smart. But the thing that makes Woody special is he'll never give up on you, ever. He'll be there for you no matter what. I did it. 
I did it. <laughs> I did it. No tears. Walk out of the room. Deep breath. Yep. You're doing okay. Mic drop. Done. <sighs> All right. Sam. You're we're now halfway. We're we we're we're making it. And I think we're like an are we like an hour and a half into this podcast? Uh actually exactly an hour and a half. Oh god, okay. <laughs> All right, Sam, you're number five. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a late night. My number five, well, Manny, you know uh, that I listed my second favorite movie of 2018 earlier. That was Annihilation. It's time for my favorite movie of 2018. That was only a year ago, and I can't remember it. What is it? Eighth grade. Oh, motherfuck. I knew. I actually knew that. Yeah. Eighth uh, grade. And again, we talked about this movie in episode 37, way, way back when. Um yeah, uh, eighth grade, uh, written and directed by one of my favorite human beings on planet Earth, Bo Burnham, starring Elsie Fisher in her film debut, uh, sitting at a respectable, again, Metascore of 89. Uh, the plot is an introverted teenage girl tries to survive the last week of her disastrous, disastrous, excuse me, eighth grade year before leaving to start high school. Manny, you watched this movie. I know you did because I made you. What did you think? fucking loved it yeah fucking loved it i this was this was on my radar even before you had mentioned that you had seen it Mm -hmm. it had been hitting the festivals and i'd heard great things and i was excited to see it and then after you saw it and were just gushing over it i i don't think it was very long afterwards that i finally got to see it and we both loved it so much we immediately made room for it in our schedule yeah. Which is so funny now because back then I think we were almost doing it like almost maybe one, maybe two weeks in advance. Yeah. And now we're like, we're, I think we're booked up like three well, months in advance I think, now. I think not, I think it was a week in advance. I think I decided or I, I wanted to do this movie because of Quiz Up. <gasps> right. Yes. That's what we were doing. Yeah. yeah so we were, we're doing, doing <laughs> we were doing our planning week to week. Meanwhile, we're, we're booked for episodes all the way through the next like four months. Yeah. Right now. Oh, how far we've come. <laughs> yeah. Um, eighth grade, um, I would encourage anyone and everyone to go see, as I would with every movie on this list. Um, I said it then, and I'll say it now. It's the type of movie people should be spending their money to go see. Um, I I definitely saw this in theaters a couple of times. Um, if you're the kind of person who looks down on, like, MCU movies, not even just MCU, but just franchise movies in general, and think that they're oversaturating the market, you need to pay to go see movies like 8th Grade, because it was a first-time writer and director in Bo Burnham, first-time star in Elsie Fisher, um, low budget, uh, nobody attached to it, and it's a brilliant movie. It's, it's um... It's a fantastic performance by Miss Elsie Fisher. Uh, she plays the role of the anxious, awkward girl so well. Her, it, it takes place in a time in her life where everybody is going through puberty. Everyone's going through changes. Everyone's growing up so fast. And she just doesn't know how to make that connection with people. Uh, she's she's trying to force herself to grow up with everybody else. And it is a gut-wrenching look into the life of a girl who's just trying to find her place in the war zone that is middle school um there's some moments in this movie that play like horror like like a horror film like not in the sense that they're gory or anything like that but just in the tension that is in these scenes bo burnham manages to fill something as innocuous as going to a pool party with just the most tension and dread and build up (sighs) that you could possibly fit into a scene of that type. Um, There's a scene of truth or dare that is probably the most uncomfortable scene, or maybe the most uncomfortable I've been in a movie 
uh, in this decade, um, including horror movies where people are getting mutilated. Um, I, there's just so many good moments in the scene. Uh, it's a it's a journey with Kayla, the main character, trying to figure out who she is as a person and how she's trying to fit into the world of 2018 middle school with phones and social media and puberty and how it all fits together. It's it's beautiful. Um, my favorite scene, uh, anybody who listens to episode 37 will know it's the campfire scene. It is, oh. uh, Manny was talking about, uh, Toy Story three just now and barely managing to not eke out tears. I don't know if I'm going to manage to make my way through the description of this scene, but Kayla asks her dad, this is also going to be my favorite quote, by the way. <laughs> um, Kayla asks her dad, uh, if she makes him sad, uh, because she feels that if she had a daughter like her, uh, that she that she would be sad and um, <laughs> it's starting um, uh. her dad played by I can't remember his name he was uh, also a, a first time major movie uh, actor if you even consider this a major movie but he go he gives this monologue about how he has no idea how she's turned out to be as perfect as she is because he had nothing to do with it and how wrong she is that he's not sad even a little bit and he's lucky to be her dad and he's the one quote i do have written down from the scene is if you could just see yourself the way i see you the way you really are then i swear to god you wouldn't be scared (laughs) it's it's such a it's one of the most again one of the most beautiful scenes in a movie that i've ever seen it's one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever uh it's it's gorgeous i want to go stop this podcast and watch this movie right now because that's how much i love this scene um yeah uh, i i remember almost uh well i i did cry when i watched when i watched this scene in the theaters i 100 percent cried i'm pretty sure i cried when i watched it the second time um yeah that's 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 my my two cents on eighth grade please find a way to watch it um legally again i'm i'm guilty of on occasion uh, finding immoral means of watching movies, but I, 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 I would not dream of watching this movie Ill- illegally because it's uh, it it needs to be paid attention to, and this sort of filmmaking needs to be encouraged. Oh wow! Well said, my friend. Well said. I can't. I there's nothing I can add to that, except I will just I will just reiterate. Please, please watch this movie. It's mm-hmm. it's a must watch. All right. All right, Manny. We're we're halfway there. We're living on a prayer. You're number five. All right. My number five, for the first time on my list, is a movie that we have covered in a previous episode. This is way back in episode nine, the 2017 film Blade Runner 2049. Whoa. That's way back there. Uh, not in my top ten. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Not 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 to disparage your choices or the film itself. Of course. I, I for the record, I watched this movie about two weeks ago as well. Nice. Yeah. That for this that would be the, your second time seeing it then. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Okay. This is directed by Denis Villeneuve. His second appearance on this list for me. Uh, written by Hampton Thatcher, Michael Green, based off characters from Philip K. Dick. Starring Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford, Anna de Armos, and Jared Leto. A meta score of 81. Way to bring me down, Denis. <laughs> Plot. Thanks for nothing. Yeah. Plot. A young Blade Runner's discovery of a long-buried secret leads him to track down former Blade Runner Rick Deckard, who's been missing for 30 years. <clears throat> Ooh, couldn't cover that one. The... 
if you want to hear an in-depth analysis on why, how much I love this movie, go back to episode nine. Wow, episode nine. I didn't realize it was that far back that we did the double feature of Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Yep. Well, we did it. Uh, we did that in your apartment uh, when you were living in Westside. Yeah, yeah, that tiny little apartment. That's T-Bone's whole place. Yeah, that's right. Um, <coughs> hold on. Yummy. That Dake will not doing anything? Yeah, not doing a goddamn thing. Cough suppressing <laughs> my ass. Um, of the numerous reasons I love this film, the obvious choice is the cinematography. You can take a snapshot of any frame of this film and it would be considered art. This is one of the most beautiful movies I have ever seen on screen. It is visually stunning. If you're not a film nerd and always wonder, what the fuck are they talking about when they say cinematography? Watch this movie. Watch the visuals. Not, not the special effects. Just watch what's on screen and see how beautiful it looks. The color palette. The things in the background. The way it's framed. This movie is visually sumptuous. I can't get enough of the visuals of this film. I love the story. I love Ryan Gosling, who is oh, just winning my heart over and over again in all of his films. The man makes me hate him because he's so incredibly handsome and far too incredibly fucking talented for someone that is that good looking. Oh, and he's Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> I was just I was just going to pipe in with that. <laughs> Canada's primary export is sexy actors named Ryan. All two of them. Yeah, all two of them. I wonder if there's another one. Probably. I don't really want sexy Canadian Ryans in my browsing history, though, so I'm going to leave that one to you. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> um, the movie is just outstanding. Now, I know a lot of people... Myself included, when I heard that they were making a, a sequel to Blade Runner, were skeptical. Now, I was never a huge fan of the original Blade Runner as it was, but it is considered a classic, and rightfully so. It's a, it's a science... That's a, that's a true science fiction film, in the same way that Annihilation is a science fiction film. We're not, not like... I don't, you know, we I think we actually talked about it on either the Annihilation episode, or maybe even this episode, the difference between a sci-fi movie and science fiction. And this is science fiction. Mm -hmm. It just happened. It gets, it's just so great. And even though the movie is two hours and 44 minutes long, at no point did I feel that it was dragging. Now, if somebody else was watching this movie and felt that way, I would completely understand, but I'm enthralled from start to finish. Did I mention that the cinematography in this movie is good? I don't know if you did, but oh, okay. we'll, we'll mark it down for sure. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I love this movie is that the cinematography is really good. Okay, noted. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to just wrap it up. Anything you'd like to add? Uh, I mean, not really. Um, the one original thought I don't know if you've touched on is how good the cinematography is. Um, <laughs> now it's your turn to almost pedal your water. Um I, I think it's an excellent performance from Ryan Gosling all the way through. It's so different from him. Uh, he's usually the charming, charismatic, 
uh, rebellious bad boy. So I mean, not even bad boy, but he, he's just like always so suave and cool. He he is very much that way that way in this movie, but in just a completely different way. He's so calm and quiet and barely emotional at all. Mm-hmm. He's well, I mean, robotic, obviously. Um, he he's just it's a completely different performance, and it's still so good. I love um, Robin Wright is in this movie, and I think she's awesome. Um, yeah, I I don't know what else to touch on. It's a uh, the story from front to back is so interesting. It's always a risk reviving a beloved franchise uh, so many years after the fact and trying to add something new to it. And this movie does it so well. In both of our opinion, it's the better of the two movies. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. That's that's what happens when you put it in the hands of a genius like Villeneuve. Um, didn't make my top 10, but that's not for it being a terrible movie. It's just a, again, a testament to the great movies that came out this, this decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite scene is the Vegas fight scene between Kay and Deckard. Uh, I love it. How unique is that? It's just such a, the, the malfunctioning, uh, the malfunctioning Elvis hologram yep. is such a weird thing to include in that scene, but somehow just makes it so much more exciting. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not even like a it's not a big action scene. It's just again the visuals of it. The the cutting out of the hologram, the cutting out of the sound, the how the sound and the picture are out of sync. It, oh, it's just fucking amazing. Yeah. Um my favorite quote again is a little bit of a scene, so I'm going to play it out. It's between Kay and Lieutenant Joshi played by oh, fuck, I can't remember names. Robin Wright Penn. Thank you. Or I guess it's actually just Robin Wright now. Is it? I'll, I have no idea. I always call her Robin Wright Penn. I don't know if she still goes by that. Hold on. Okay. I'll look it up. <clears throat> I'll play out the scene. Uh, Kay, I've never retired something that was born before. What's the difference? To be born is to have a soul, I guess. Are you telling me no? I wasn't aware there was an option, madam. boy. <laughs> Kay walks to the door. Hey, you've been getting on fine without one. What's that, madam? A soul. That's my favorite quote from that movie. Yeah, that's beautiful. It is uh, It is Robin Wright, by the way. Okay, she dropped the pen after she got the divorce. That would be correct. Fair enough. I'm pretty sure like, I'm pretty sure she's been remarried, so I'm pretty sure her new husband wouldn't want that pen on the end there still. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, she's uh, married to a Clement Giraudet. Uh, sure. Yeah, I'll Never pretend. Heard I know how to pronounce that name. All right, Sam, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. Nitty gritty. Your number four film of the decade. I'm, uh, well, my number four was one that I, was one of the ones that I was almost certain you would have on yours as well. It is a movie that we have not yet talked about, but we are going to in a future episode. It, it will be episode 87 of the Samuel Emanuel movie podcast. That is the 2012 movie Looper. It is not on my list. Really? I can't believe that. I'm shocked. I'm I'm actually surprised. Okay, so it's written and directed by Ryan Johnson, <laughs> starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Bruce Willis, Emily Blunt, uh, at a Metascore of 84. In 2074, when the mob wants to get rid of someone, the target is sent into the past where a hired gun awaits. Someone like Joe, who one day learns the mob wants to close the loop by sending back Joe's future self for assassination. Um, I gotta say, I, I was so certain this would be on your list. It's uh, in my honorable mentions. In your honorable mentions, okay. Should I, should I, I was going to ask you about this before we got on air. Should I even <laughs> say anything about this movie or should I just like leave it? Uh, you know what? That, that, that's so funny because that's the next episode. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's literally next week. 
I think talking about it a little wouldn't be harmful. Again, maybe some people are only going to listen to this episode, so we shouldn't really rob them. Yeah, that's fair. Um, if you do want to hear more in-depth uh, discussion about Looper, go listen to episode 87, which we actually have not recorded yet. But uh, <laughs> And even if you're listening to this episode right when it comes out, probably will not be out. Um, so um, Looper is, is, again, I got a ton of sci-fi on my list, which is a surprising thing for me. I've never considered myself like a massive sci-fi fan or anything, yeah, but maybe, maybe I'll need pretty astounding actually looking yeah. at your list here i know maybe i'll need to start considering myself as such um it's again a completely unique concept joseph gordon levitt gives an excellent performance he's uh performing through a prosthetic which is not always easy now uh, the world building is uh really on display in this movie um things like a certain percentage of the population having a telekinetic ability for some reason and it's like not a big deal things like drugs that you take through eyedrop form are just like so run-of-the-mill throwaway aspects of this movie that just uh, give it so much flavor and so much nuance um it's it's really at its core a character study it's about this troubled uh man who who made the terrible decision to go into employment for the mob uh in a profession where the lifespan is is finite um even more so than you know regular lifespans um it, it's such a uh, provocative, uh, interesting, thought-provoking movie in general. I don't want to talk about it too much because, again, we're going to be diving into it next week. Um, I, I think that's about all I want to say. If, if anything, this little tidbit here can serve as a, uh, a reminder for you to go uh, watch this movie before we talk about it next week. But um, I guess I can talk a little bit about favorite scenes and favorite uh, quotes. And whatnot. Actually, I think that's where we shouldn't. You think so? Well, I guess if we do, then we're just going to be repeating ourselves next week. Yeah, that's very true. Okay. Um, Looper. Interesting sci-fi movie. Go watch it. It's fantastic concepts. Very well acted. Very well written. Um, Ryan Johnson gets a bad rap for uh, what Star Wars fans perceive he did to the Star Wars franchise with The Last Jedi. Um, I personally liked that movie. But he, um, he's, a, he's a brilliant writer and director, as evidenced by Knives Out, which came out this year. Um, Have you seen that? Came out yeah, yeah, I saw Knives Out. Right, really good. Right, right. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's Looper. I, I don't want to dive into it anymore. I don't think because I want to I want to save some stuff for next week. Yeah, I'm with you. I absolutely love Looper. This, uh, like I mentioned, is in my honorable mentions. I again, I, I love how you kind of danced around talking about it too much because we are doing it next week. So I will just reiterate, it's an absolute masterpiece of a film. This, if I remember correctly, this was my favorite film of 2012. Um, so it was, at, at least at the time, like in 2012, it was my favorite film. Right. Um, it, looking back, I think it might have changed by now, but whatever. It's, it's a fantastic movie. I'm so excited to talk about it next week. <laughs> All right. Uh, you're number four, Manny. My number four is one of the other movies uh, that I thought might be on your list. And how incredibly synergistic? I have no idea. All right. Uh, how, what a great coincidence that your fear... Serendipitous would be the word. Okay, perfect. Serendipitous. <laughs> Your fear of talking about that of Looper too much because it is episode 87. My number four is actually episode 88, the 2010 film 
the town. Yeah, yeah, it's on my list. Yeah, I figured. Woohoo! Yeah, it's a little, it's a little higher. All <laughs> right. So we'll uh, move on to, to your number three. Number three is my favorite sports movie of all time. <gasps> Can I guess it? Yes. This is one of the movies I was almost positive would be on your on your list. I'm gonna guess. I don't know the year, but it's Moneyball. Yes, 2011 Moneyball, directed by Bennett Miller, written by Stephen Zalian and Aaron Sorkin, starring Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and a bunch of others, sitting at an 87 Metascore. The plot, Oakland A's general manager Billy Bean's successful attempt to assemble a baseball team on a lean budget by employing computer-generated analysis to acquire new players. I'm so happy that I guess this isn't on your list then. No, um, no. Oh, that's man. We have we have like no overlap. This is crazy. That's <laughs> well, not I true. Guess, oh, that's not that's not entirely true. I we guess have we at this point we have three overlaps. We have three. Interesting. Okay. All right. Um. So this this movie is spectacular. It's my favorite sports movie of all time. Um. We we already alluded to the fact in this episode and numerous other episodes, of course, that we are massive baseball nerds. Um. I was alive when this movie takes place. Uh, however, I don't believe I was actually watching baseball. It takes place in the 2002 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I started watching baseball in roughly about 2003, so right after. Um, I love it because it's a, it's a, at its core, it's a classic underdog sports movie. It's about the downtrodden Oakland A's who have no money. They have they have nothing. They've just had all their stars taken away from them by the New York Yankees and the the uh, bastards Boston Red Sox. Uh, they, <laughs> um, I, I got to say, it's not easy to make a movie where the executives are the heroes. You don't see that too often in sports <laughs> movies. That's where, true. Where, where the GMs are the heroes and they're made relatable. But it's done so well in this. Brad Pitt's portrayal of Billy Bean as um, a essentially a failed baseball player in, uh, in his own right. Uh, he's, he's a dad. He's a high school graduate. He never went to college, and he's being asked to assemble a team with no money out of scraps and make a competitive baseball team. And it's it's a funny, heartwarming movie. Um, Jonah Hill, I believe, was, I don't have this in front of me right now, but I believe he was nominated for the Oscar for Supporting Actor for this yep, movie, which, totally is was. So, which is so well-deserved because – I, I'm a big Jonah Hill guy, and then this movie <laughs> continues to be hilarious. Um, it, it at its core, this movie, like I said, is an underdog story, and it's a movie about uh, innovation. It's about uh, how being being an innovator, the world can turn against you, and can whenever you threaten to change whatever the status quo is, uh, the world the world will try to eat you alive because you're as it's put in the final scene of this movie, you're threatening people's livelihoods. You're threatening people's jobs when you're changing the way things are. Um, Billy Bean um, put together what was almost a championship caliber baseball team with next to no money. And baseball fans who like this movie, uh, yourself included, Manny, um, will often point out that this movie does not explore the fact that the Oakland A's had one of the best rotations in baseball with Mark Mulder, Zito, Hudson. They also had young stars like Tejada and Chavez. I want to acknowledge that. Not that the movie fans listening give a shit about any of that. Thank you. That's my (laughs) only complaint of this movie. Yeah, and that's fine. I think there is a certain artistic allowance that's uh, that's given. Um, I, I think that the omission of those characters is probably intentional uh, because it, it doesn't really fit the narrative of what this movie is trying to say. Yeah, a little there's bit. A few, 
there's a few other little things in this movie that aren't really the way things are, like certain characters being acquired at certain times, things like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's a, it's a really funny movie, uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's beautiful in its message. And again, as the constant thread with all of these movies on my list, basically the ending is gorgeous and almost makes me cry. Um, <laughs> sorry, you want to say something before I go to favorite scene and quote? Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely jump in before you get to the end there. Yeah. Um, I, I'm so happy you picked out or you mentioned the lack of me- zero mention of Zito, Mulder, and Hudson. I, yeah. I, when people watch this movie and they talk about it, I say, that's great. I'm so glad you liked it. But you have to understand that they had literally three aces on their pitching staff. Three mm-hmm. guys at the top of their game who were pretty much guaranteed wins every game. Plus, they had arguably the greatest left side of an infield in baseball at the time with perennial gold glove winner Eric Chavez and one of the best shortstops in the game in Miguel Tejada. <laughs> Not mentioned at all in the entire film. Now, uh, that Barry, be- uh, sorry? Sorry. Uh, Barry Zito, my pick for best curveball in the history of baseball. Oh, it's up uh, 100% up there until until he goes to San Francisco and changes his fucking arm slot, which yeah, is so exactly. funny. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, other other than that, I agree with everything. The movie is incredibly entertaining. Brad Pitt giving a movie star performance. It is a very great performance. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think he got nominated. Uh, not, not to my knowledge. No. Yeah, I could check, but it, um, it, it's a movie star performance. He's just got this great swagger on screen. Uh, it, it's such a great film, and it is a true underdog story, despite the. F- Despite the fact that they had those five guys on their team, even with those five guys, they're still an underdog. At that, mm-hmm. in, in the early 2000s, it was the Yankees and Red Sox and then the rest of the league. Truly. Yeah. Truly. Um, I'd be uh, remiss to not mention the great Aaron Sorkin as well, who worked on this movie. I know that he works a lot with your boy, David Fincher. Not um, a lot. I think, they've, they only, I think they've only done one film together. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I, I worship at the altar of Aaron Sorkin, as have as I've mentioned numerous times on this yeah. podcast. One of the great writers of dialogue in, in the history of cinema, and this movie's no exception. The dialogue is biting and funny. Uh, the character of Billy Bean always has some zinger. There's one of the best lines in the movie. This isn't even my favorite quote, but uh, one of the best lines in the movie is where he's talking to this old-fashioned, old-timey scout named Grady. Oh. And, and Grady is tearing them apart for the decisions he's making with the roster and he's saying like uh or he, he, he like calls him an asshole or something and brad pitt takes a second of hesitation and says i'm not gonna fire you grady and grady says fuck you billy and he goes now i will <laughs> <laughs> it's such a funny line and i love every bit of it um my favorite scene one of the most goosebumps inducing moments i can remember uh chills even just thinking about this this moment and the fact that it actually happened i I talked about how some of the things in this movie didn't happen the way that they're portrayed this moment did you know what it is manny no scott hatterberg's home run to clinch the 20 game win streak oh well well done yes 
absolutely incredible. Again, I won't go into it anymore in case you haven't watched this movie because it's it's a fantastic moment. The build up to it is exceptional. The whole uh, section about the 20 game win streak that the Oakland A's in 2002 went on uh, is amazing. So I will leave it at that for that scene. Um, and my favorite quote is probably the most famous quote in this movie. And I love it because of my love of baseball. And that's just how can you not be romantic about baseball? Nice. Love it. Oh, you just made my heart swell. <laughs> and it's so true. Uh, Manny, your third favorite movie of the decade is... The bronze medal winner. We're now at the podium. We're on the podium We're right on now. The podium. Moneyball is, is sitting firmly on the lowest level of the podium for me. Yep. Sam, my bronze medal winner was your number nine film that Ooh. we talked about in depth in episode 55 of the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast, and that is the 2019 film, Avengers Endgame. It Take it away. It was uh, directed by Anthony and Joe Russo, written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. There are numerous other screenwriters attached to the screenplay, but most people feel that Marcus and McFeely were the two main respon- the, the two people mainly responsible for the majority of the work on this film. Starring way too many people to list, but let's go with Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, and Josh Brolin. Has a Metascore of 78. Drop my average, motherfucker. (laughs) Uh, The plot, after the devastating events of Avengers Infinity War in 2018, the universe is in ruins. With the help of remaining allies, the Avengers assemble once more in order to reverse Thanos' actions and restore balance to the universe. Sam, this was your number nine film. That's correct. Uh, let's both dive into it, even though if you want to hear our full thoughts on it, please go back and listen to episode number 55. Sam, why don't you give me a couple of little tidbits on why this movie made your list? So, uh, we, we talked about it in episode 55. I am not a, uh, a particularly big Marvel guy. I didn't grow up on the comics. I, I do enjoy the MCU movies. Uh, I, Infinity War made my top of 2018. Uh, and it was there was a lot. One? No, it wasn't. What's that? 2018, my top was uh, eighth grade. Oh, right. Jesus, I fucking yeah. knew that. Jesus. Yeah. I think uh, Infinity War was third after Annihilation. Nice. If I recall, which I'm not sure I do. Um, but basically, there was a lot riding on Endgame. There was, there was so much expectation tied to this. And as we've seen with beloved TV shows like Game of Thrones in recent memory, it's just not a, a sure thing that the thing that you love is going to come to a solid conclusion. And Endgame not only gave a solid conclusion to the, what is it, 21 movies that came before it, yeah. uh, uh, it also, in, in and of itself, is the best movie of the MCU. It, uh, it has a tall order in assembling the Avengers, the, the vast cast of this movie. In fact, in the starring section of my notes, I just put starring everybody who's ever been in a movie ever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, franchise, in my opinion. I Mm -hmm. think Iron Man is sort of the de facto hero and the de facto protagonist of the MCU. And this movie is no exception. Um, It is, well acted there's fantastic moments in it i love the time travel elements of it i think they're really fun and played uniquely 
Um, there's updates to a bunch of different characters like Hulk. Hulk is one of the funniest characters in this movie. Um, it, it's that typical MCU uh, comedy that's in it. And then they somehow reverse direction and give you moments like um, I, Hawkeye and Black Widow uh, getting the soul stone. Uh, Hawkeye's they, they, family, the, mo- the opening scene opening scene with Hawkeye's family there's just so many moments that are devastating and they somehow managed to make you laugh hard in between them um this was a movie that was that had so much riding on it and could have been and arguably should have been a disaster with how many moving parts there were and the Russo brothers uh made a movie instead of a disaster that is one that's going to stand the test of time and is going to go down as one of the greatest uh franchise or one of the greatest blockbusters of all time I'm giving people their warning right now. I'm going to spoil the shit out of this movie. <clears throat> Three, okay. two, one, go fuck yourself. It's Avengers Infinite. It's Avengers Endgame. I honestly don't think I've met somebody that hasn't seen the movie. But mm-hmm. if you're one of the few that haven't, I'm telling you right now, I'm spoiling it. Not right away, but I will be because I, I want to talk about everything about this movie. Again, if you want to hear my complete thoughts and Sam's complete thoughts, it's in episode 55. But the reasons I love this movie, Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. These guys, this chemistry between these two actors is off the charts good. You mentioned that this Robert Downey Jr. Is the, would be the main protagonist. Can't argue it. Chris Evans is a very close second. Mm-hmm. Chris Evans... While I love Robert Downey Jr., he's so fucking incredibly charming. Prior to the MCU, I could give two shits about Captain America. And Chris Evans completely changed. Captain America is my favorite character in the MCU because of Chris Evans. And this movie, as much as Robert Downey Jr. gets to shine, Chris Evans is the reason that this movie carries the biggest emotional wallop for me. While Robert Downey Jr.'s death is quite touching, it's actually Chris Evans' moments in this movie that wreck me, both out of pure joy and pure heartache and heartfelt happiness. Honestly, one of my, I would probably say top five, top five theater-going experiences was watching this movie on opening night when Chris Evans lifts up Thor's hammer I lost my shit and was so fucking emotional it is spectacular a spectacular moment my uh, my measured and calm and well thought out reaction in the moment in the theater when Cap picked up Mjolnir was to say it's Cap, it's Cap, it's Cap, it's Cap <laughs> about nine times in Jordan's ear. It, I don't remember the last time I was that excited in a movie theater about anything. I leapt out of my seat, which you hear movie reviewers say that sometimes and you're like, okay, you didn't leap out of your seat. Like, that's exact. I, I jumped out of my seat when people applauded and I applauded with them. I, can't remember the last time I was that excited about a movie. I wholeheartedly occur. It, mm-hmm. It's one of the greatest film experiences I've ever had. Mm-hmm. 
And then mere moments later, I get two more moments. The first one, the crackling sound of on your left. Chills. And then the portals open. And we get the line that all comic book nerds have been waiting to hear. Even though it's a shitty fucking line, it means the world. And that's Avengers Assemble. I lost it. I was a weeping, happy mess. <sighs> the emotional weight of this film continues with I Love You 3000, <laughs> John Favreau and Cheeseburgers, and then Cap living out his life. Un fucking believable as much as it hurts my heart to even say this I won't lie but if they never made another MCU film I would be completely okay with it because this film wraps up their phase of movies perfectly now thankfully they're going to keep making more and I'm going to be a happy little boy <laughs> <laughs> but this movie this movie made me feel things I never expected I was going in we all had our idea, ideas that some people were going to die <clears throat> everybody well, I shouldn't say everybody a lot of people really complained about the end of Infinity War because none of them said it's not th those deaths aren't going to matter because they're just going to bring them back Anthony and Joe Russo showed you that those deaths mattered. Mm -hmm. They spend like, like what? Like the first half an hour of the film just dealing with the ramifications of what happened. Well, yeah, because you originally thought going into this movie that, uh, that it would be just a mission to hunt Thanos and that would be the movie. It would just be them going to get revenge on Thanos and then maybe they would use the stones to bring everyone back. And... Uh, to the Russo's credit, they totally anticipated that and found another creative solution to the problem, which was to have Thanos destroy the stones and have them kill Thanos right away. And it, that was and then they have the five years later oh. title card and it sinks in at that moment. You're like, they really killed half the fucking universe. They really killed half the universe in this movie. And that moment is gutting it's because it, you have this expectation as a moviegoer and as an mcu fan they're like oh everything's gonna work out fine and that in that moment you realize that it doesn't mm -hmm. it, just, it was a it was a surreal thing to experience in the theater and of course yes they bring everyone back at the end but i don't think when everyone's brought back at the end nobody thought wow so the snap really was without consequence I agree. Like, nobody thought that. Nobody thought those deaths were inconsequential, even when they were brought back. I wholeheartedly it was such agree. Such a smart creative decision from them. Oh God! I want now. See, I now I want to watch it again. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, favorite scene. Obviously, for me, it's when Cap picks up the hammer. Cap picking up the hammer. It's not close. All right. Now, favorite quote, like you mentioned earlier. <sighs> 
this movie, like the MCU formula, they've got me. <laughs> they've got me. I am buying in. Their humor is so great. Now, I have three quotes. Two quotes and one little mini scene. So I'm, I'll do mine and then you can do yours. Okay. Okay. So the, here's the scene. It's Rocket talking to the heroes. So Rocket starts off. Quill said he stole the Power Stone from Morag. Bruce Banner, is that a person? Rocket. Morag's a planet. Quill was a person. Scott Lang, a planet like in outer space? And here's the quote I love because it makes me laugh out loud every time. Rocket. Oh, look. It's like a little puppy. All happy and everything. Do you want to go to space, puppy? I'll take you to outer space. <laughs> Bradley Cooper as Rocket Raccoon is un fucking believable so condescending he's so <laughs> condescending he's so condescending mm -hmm. the two quotes i love i've already said them avengers assemble and i love you 3000 i have the exact same i have the exact same ones i uh, i i will just add that the conversation surrounding i love you 2000 when it said the first time with tony stark just being tony stark to uh to pepper when he says like Wow, I got I love you three thousand tonight. I think you topped out in what the mid nine hundreds, <laughs> something like that. Him just being a fucking asshole, and then yeah, the uh, him on the on the fucking tape and the funeral saying I love you or in his will I love you three thousand. Stupid, stupid moment. Stupid, stupid, stupid. <laughs> All right, Sam, let's move to your silver medal. Can I guess what it is? Well, it's a coin flip. You know what the two are at this point. I do. So. Okay, so w which one do you think it is? It's the town. Incorrect. Shut your filthy mouth hole. <laughs> Number two is Whiplash. Number two is Whiplash, written and directed by Damien Chazelle, starring Miles Teller, J.K. Simmons, at a Metascore of 88. A promising young drummer enrolls at a cutthroat music conservatory, where his dreams of greatness are mentored by an instructor who will stop at nothing to realize a student's potential. You, uh, I I've thrown some curveballs at you tonight, haven't I? A little bit. I'm a regular Barry Zito. You, this, this movie, I honestly would have put in good money to be your number one. Yeah, it was, uh, well, I mean, hey, you, it was close. You would have been close, but um, this movie is phenomenal. It, it put Damien Chazelle on the map for me. Um, not only is it incredibly well-written and incredibly well-directed, um, it has, I think, what you could put in contention for the performance of the decade from J.K. Simmons. I 100% agree. Uh, he, he's a brilliant, brilliant actor who gives the performance of his entire life. That's not to say Miles Teller uh, isn't also good. He absolutely is, but he's not even close to J.K. Simmons. Can I level. just can I interject here one thing? Mm -hmm. As you were saying that, I realized I just looked at my first note, and it, this I'm going to read you word for word what I wrote down. J.K. Okay. Simmons in what can only be described as one of the best performances of the decade. Yep, I have my first note of it as one of the best acted movies of the decade. <laughs> um, there's incredible dialogue all the way through. It's like a better version of Full Metal Jacket, which we've also talked about on the show before. Um, it's like all the things that people like about Full Metal Jacket, except better. Uh, all of the, uh, the, the moments where uh, uh, Andrew is being berated and being talked down to and being insulted and being ass assaulted um verbally and physically it's a brutal brutal movie and at its core it's about 
the lengths people go to to be great and the concessions that people make, much like uh, much like La La Land that we talked about earlier. Um, I'm sad that this movie didn't do better at the Oscars, and I'm kind of surprised that it didn't. It only got not. I think it. I think the only nomination it got was for Best Picture, if I recall correctly, which is, uh, is sort of a rare thing to happen. But I think I'm correct about that. Um, it's uh, it, it's a movie about sacrifice, and um, there's some irreversible things that happen in this movie that uh, that a lesser Hollywood movie would just have them have a happy ending. Um, but this movie has the confidence to have sort of a bittersweet, open-ended ending. Um on that note, one of the best endings of the decade is so open-ended, very exciting. Um, it's the scene with Caravan. Um, as a former jazz band nerd, not to this level, um, but the soundtrack is so delicious. I played jazz, I played Caravan in my jazz band when I was in school. Um, yeah, it's it's a fun movie. It's got fun music. It's got an excellent performance. It has some of the funniest dialogue of a movie this decade. Um, it's got everything you could possibly want. It's well shot. It's intimate it hits everything it's tense i can't explain to you how much i love this movie it's one of my favorites ever it actually was nominated for five oscars really for some reason i remembered it only being nominated for one but okay what are three really okay i I wasn't really paying attention to the oscars super uh closely at this time so yeah please enlighten enlighten me well it's funny you thought the only nomination it got was for best picture and did it just, not even get nominated? No, it did. But you just—we just talked about how great J.K. Simmons' performance oh, is. Oh, he won the fucking Oscar. What am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it also—it also won in best film editing and sound mixing. Yeah, I can and, understand. And then it was nominated for best picture and best adapted screenplay. That's so sweet. I—I I, I think that that's excellent. Um, there, there's so many good scenes in this movie. I can't even oh. really can't even really pick a good one there's not my fucking tempo there's uh why do you suppose i just threw a chair at your head there's uh okay i'm gonna talk about this scene more it's not my favorite but the scene between uh jk simmons and miles teller in the diner where they're just where you know uh jk simmons character has been fired uh and the two of them are sort of uh making up after uh what's been hell for both of them and uh, Fletcher, J.K. Simmons' character, goes on this rant about uh, about uh, Charlie Parker, how in one of his first jam sessions, uh, he got a cymbal thrown at his head, and it made him better as a musician, and he thinks that it would be, humanity would be worse off, for, and they would not have Charlie Parker as one of the great musicians of the 20th century if he had not been physically abused like that. And he says something to the effect of, you know what? I tried. I actually fucking tried. And I, I will not apologize for the way that I tried. And uh, Miles Teller says, again, this is off the top of my head, so this probably isn't exactly accurate. He says, is there a limit where, you know, in, you discourage the next Charlie Parker? And uh, he responds, no, because the next Charlie Parker wouldn't be discouraged. Nice. And that, that, that moment is just like, your your antagonists need to be convincing they need you need your antagonists to have real motivations in order to feel like real people and in order to feel like threats and that right there just solidifies the entire role of fletcher as uh one of the greatest villains really in movie history um he's convincing he's 
he sticks to his guns and he believes in him. He believes in what he believes in. Yep. At the end of this movie, Terrence Fletcher has not changed as a person. He still believes what he believes, even after losing his job. And he believes that he was right the entire time. And those are signs of excellent writing for an antagonist. Okay, spoilers. Three, two, one, go fuck yourself. I believe exactly what you said is true because in the end, Miles' character proves him right. Yeah. Miles gives the right. performance of a lifetime because of Fletcher. Yeah, exactly. Because, because of what Fletcher did, Miles, whose character's name escapes me at the moment, Andrew. Uh, Andrew, Andrew uh, Neiman. Andrew gives the performance of a lifetime because of Fletcher. Yeah, and I again, this is uh, this is my favorite scene, by the way, the ending uh, where they play Caravan, uh, where uh, Andrew really comes into his own. I love that this scene is played almost completely without dialogue, mm-hmm. and it's communicated visually, and Fletcher is still building him up and still wants him to perform well, and there's this moment uh, at the end of Andrew's drum solo, right before they hit this last final note of the movie, where they lock eyes and it zooms in on Fletcher's eyes and he gives him a little nod and it's sort of up for interpretation what that nod is. I've always taken that as him saying good job because his whole thing in this movie is to not say uh, there, there are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. That's my favorite quote of the movie. <laughs> that's that's up there. I, I, I chose something a little bit uh, less tasteful. <laughs> for for my favorite quote of the movie um i'm not gonna have my reputation in that department tarnished by a bunch of fucking limp dicks sour notes flower flatter than their girlfriends flexible tempo dipshits got it and if i ever see another one of these lying around i swear to fucking god i will stop being so polite <laughs> 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 that's my favorite quote of the movie so yes please go see this movie oh. it's excellent it is one of the best movies of the decade. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, go see it. Go see it. Go see it. Go see it. 100% agree. 100% agree. Uh, your favorite scene is the ending? Yeah. The, it's uh, the scene where they play Caravan. Yeah, the ending. That's yeah. right. Mine's were, were you rushing or dragging? That's a good one, too. Yeah. Now, are you going to be a rusher or are you going to be a dragger or are you going to be on my fucking time? <laughs> Oh, such movie. a quotable movie. <clears throat> it's so fucking I fucking love that movie. All right, that's, that's my silver medal, Manny. The podium's getting awfully full. Where where are you at? My number 2 is the movie that we actually spoke about recently in episode 82. 82. And that's the 2015 movie Sicario. Ooh. Yeah, it didn't make the cut for me, but yeah, I I don't doubt that you had it high up here. I, w- I was kind of curious if that would be on here for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was an easy pick. And <laughs> with the trifecta appearance on the top ten, this is directed by Denis Villeneuve. Did I? I don't think I had any Denis Villeneuve in my actual top ten. He nope. showed up a couple times in my honorable mentions, but he did not show up in my top ten. Nope. Uh, written by Taylor Sheridan, starring Emily Blunt, Benicio Del Toro, Josh Brolin, and Daniel Kaluuya, has a meta score of 82. The plot, an idealistic FBI agent is enlisted by a government task force to aid in the escalating war against drugs at the border area between the U.S. and Mexico. If you'd like to hear our in-depth thoughts on Sicario and Sicario 2, Day of the Soldado, go back and listen to episode 82. So I'll make this quick. Reasons I love this movie. 
number fucking one, the border crossing scene. Easily one of the best scenes of the decade. Hands down, one of the greatest scenes to build tension that I can remember in a long time. The no only, argument here. The only other one I can think of that had my tension as high is the basement bar scene in Inglorious Bastards. True. Those are the two most tense scenes I've probably watched in the last 20 years. The score by our dearly departed Johan is phenomenal. I've been listening to it a lot recently. The cinematography of this film by our boy Roger Deakins. The direction by Villeneuve. The badassery of Del Toro. The John Bernthal cameo. Emily Blunt at the top of her game. And Josh Brolin's sandals. (laughs) I fucking love this movie. There's no reason to really dive too deep into it. If you want to hear our full thoughts on it, it, like I said, it's episode 82. This movie is visually stunning, absolutely brilliantly directed, and I watch this movie over and over and over again. Yeah, can't disagree with anything you said on there. I was kind of, that was this was sort of like a last second cut for me from the list. Uh, it was borderline but uh, yeah, had to had to miss. Yeah, no worries. Uh, favorite scene? I don't even need to talk about it. It's the border, it's the border crossing. Border crossing scene. Holy fuck! If you want to yeah. watch, if you want to watch a master at work, watch the border crossing scene in Sicario. Yep. Uh, favorite quote? There's a lot. Uh, I the one that always makes me chuckle. Uh, don't go in the bank, Kate. Um, <laughs> the last line of the film: "You should move to a small town." Somewhere the rule, the rule of law still exists. You will not survive here. You are not a wolf. And this is a land of wolves now. And I always love... Uh, it's when we first meet Alejandro. And he asks, he says, you're asking me how a watch works. For now, we'll just keep an eye on the time. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I think the one about uh, this is a town of wolves now is probably... It's got to be my favorite quote in the movie. Oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. All right, Sam. We're, we're almost number, we're we're almost at number one. Yeah, and, and the only reason we're almost at number one is because we're gonna reveal, even though our astute listeners know what your number one is. Yeah. Uh, why don't we give our honorable mentions? Yeah. So uh, again, we ha- we both had huge lists of movies as candidates for this. We agreed beforehand to cut it down to ten honorable mentions. Two of my honorable mentions, only two, that's surprising. Only two of my honorable mentions are on your list. Uh, those are Sicario and Blade Runner 2049. Um, other. <laughs> that's funny. <clears throat> I only have two of yours on mine. Man, I'm surprised we don't. I mean, we have a, a reasonable amount of overlap, I guess. Um, the other eight honorable mentions for me, in no particular order, Inside Lewin Davis, Hell or High Water. I knew that was on there. Sorry, I cut, I cut you off. Inside oh, Lewin I'll, Davis. I'll read, I'll read slower. Okay, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, go a little slower. Let let me yep. let me In, inside Lewin Davis. Okay, I I was almost positive this was gonna be on your list. No, it, it again last minute cut. I rewatched it in preparation for this episode and it just missed out. Still haven't seen it. Oh man, you should watch it again. Uh, there's at least two movies on my list already about how difficult it is to be an artist and the concessions you need to make to achieve greatness. 
Inside Lewin Davis, another one of those. Um, Hell or High Water. On my honorable mention. Django Unchained. Not on mine. Manchester by the Sea. Wow, really? Yeah, that was, again, when I was speaking at the beginning about how uh, there's some movies that <laughs> affected me, but I don't have the desire to rewatch as much. Therefore, they're not as great. That's why Manchester by the Sea missed out. But that movie fucking broke me. Oh, I... I... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wind River. How is it? Oh, there it is. Never mind. That's on my list. That's on my honorable mentions, too. I was like, how is it not on my fucking honorable mentions? Yeah. Nominated for zero Oscars that yeah, year. As we, yeah, as we like to remind people, nominated for zero Oscars. Zero Oscars that year. Um, Room. With Brie Larson? Well. Seriously? That's, yeah. Oh, not i'm just shocked that you like the movie that much oh that was a good movie oh it was a good movie that's like manchester by the sea i don't ever want to watch that again <laughs> i think what we're discovering is that i like the really really depressing movies you do and sci-fi yeah yeah um so yeah, there's room um two that we have talked about on the show before that just missed out on the list nightcrawler from episode 19 surprise that's not on your list and Drive from episode 60. Nice. Those are my honorable mentions. Really? There's a movie that's in my honorable mentions that I am... Maybe my memory of how much you liked it is shocked. So here are mine Okay. in no particular order. This one is a... Per, this one's personal because okay. uh, of because of what it means to me. And that's Deadpool. All right. Yeah, that's fine. The movie itself is fine, but Deadpool... Deadpool is my favorite comic book character, but I have a hard time liking him now because he's so popular. <laughs> you contrarian, you. I, I it's I know it's horrible of me to admit it, but I kind of enjoyed Deadpool before he became famous. Oh, you're so what a hipster! I am a total fucking hipster. Don't get me <laughs> wrong, I still love him, but I I kind of miss the times when someone would ask me, "Who's your favorite comic book character?" I'm like Deadpool, they're like, "Who the fuck's that?" Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, but the movie, the the movie, the one thing I loved about the movie, I was so looking forward to the movie. Um, literally, it was watching the character come to life. Ryan Reynolds nailed it. Like he, it's 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 a perfect interpretation of the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, the girl with the dragon tattoo, which I didn't see actually. Mm, interesting. Here's the movie that I'm surprised isn't wasn't on your list. And isn't in your honorable mentions, and maybe it's because my recollection of how much you enjoyed it is wrong. But that's Inception. No, you're you're correct. Uh, and I did enjoy Inception. Again, the fact that we narrowed it down to ten honorable mentions just means that I had between ten and twenty movies that I loved that just <laughs> I, I couldn't list. I, I I love Christopher Nolan and I love Inception. The reason why it didn't quite make either list. I think, again, I love this movie anyway, so I had the nitpick. The first hour or so of this movie is very exposition-heavy. Fair. That's fair. Um, so if I had to choose one reason to omit it from the list, that was the reason I chose. So, yeah, it didn't, didn't make the list, didn't make the honorable mentions, but Inception, still an excellent movie. Yeah, Inception was a, a late cut, uh, but I think it just doesn't... It's, it, I think it got so high because it's a movie I enjoy rewatching. Yeah, it, it totally has the rewatchability factor, 100%. Yeah. 
Um, um, I, I also happen to remember that when we did our Nolan episode, it was much higher on your list than on mine. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's very true. Very true. Yeah. Uh, Looper. Uh, yeah, obviously on my list. Yep. Yeah. This one's going to be very shocking. I, th- I think this one might shock you a little bit. And this one is because every time I – like, I'll put this on to watch because I just find it so incredibly enjoyable, and that's the big short. Oh, that is surprising. Um, I've actually only seen it once, so yeah, I, I don't know. I've honestly probably watched it at, at least ten times. Really? No, that is surprising. I'm glad you like that movie. That's, that, that is a fun one. My main problem with Big Short, uh, if I had to choose one to not put it on my list, is that I felt it was a little bit over-directed. Oh, like, 100%. Like, it, it, there's a lot of different variations of cuts and edits and, and like, film techniques and, like, weird fourth wall breaks. And, like, they're just... They they really directed the shit out of this movie. I would have liked a little bit more restraint, but still a very good movie. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I fucking I really love that movie. Hmm. Uh, one we've already mentioned. The next two we've already mentioned: Hell or High Water and Wind River. Yeah. Uh, La La Land on your list. Yep. Uh, the Martian. Okay. I fucking yeah, sure. I fucking love The Martian. And my last honorable mention: Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, that was before we recorded uh, when we were sitting down and I was like, ah, there's I'm at 11 honorable mentions and I need to cut it down to 10. Mad Max got uh, got the axe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Sam, honorable mentions out of the way. 10 through 2, done. And even though even not even an astute listener. Would know. Mm-hmm. My number four. Your number one is mm-hmm. the town. The from, town from 2010. This will be episode 88, so we will talk about this a little bit here. It's directed by Ben Affleck, written by Peter Craig and Ben Affleck, starring Mr. Affleck again, Rebecca Hall, John Hamm, Jeremy Renner at a Metascore of 74. That's it. As he plans his next job, a longtime thief tries to balance his feelings for a bank manager connected to one of his earlier heists, as well as the FBI agent looking to bring him and his crew down. So, um, I have loved this movie for a long time. This is probably one of the movies I've seen the most in the world. I adore this movie. Um, it's a fun, realistic, down-to-earth heist movie about the costs and consequences of crime. Um, I love the there's a love story between Rebecca Hall and Ben Affleck, which is so well realized and so well acted and well written. And it's heartbreaking. It's like modern Romeo and Juliet, but not boring. Um, I think Jeremy Renner's presence in the movie is terrifying. You feel like he's going to fuck up every plan in every scene that he's in. He's the monkey in the wrench. He 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 always he. Every time he walks on the screen, you know that something bad is going to happen. Um, John Hamm making his first appearance on the list is uh, is John Hamm. He's so charismatic and cocky and handsome, and he's also a huge asshole. Uh, he's he's the FBI agent character. He has maybe one of my favorite throwaway lines in a movie, which is when Ben Affleck leaves a note on his car, and John Hamm picks it up and says. Or it says, uh, fuck you or go fuck yourself or something like that. Yeah. And uh, the first FBI agent that walks by, John Hamm, just hands him the note and says, it's for you. 
<laughs> oh, kills me every single time. And again, this is a masterclass in building an antagonist. You need your antagonist to not be co completely inept. John Hamm, at every twist and turn of this movie, is up to Ben Affleck's level, and he's right on his tail. He always feels like a legitimate threat, and the movie's better off for it. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I probably shouldn't say too much because I, I want, I mean, I've already kind of started just gushing about this movie, yes. but uh, I, I, you, this was your number four. I'm sure you have some things to say about it as well. Yeah, but like you, I, I don't want to say too much as we're going to be talking about this in two weeks. So yeah. <laughs> let me, I'll just quick, I'm just going to quickly throw out the reasons I like it. Jeremy Renner, Jeremy yep. Renner, Jeremy Renner. Yep. And Jeremy Renner. Okay. Great. Uh, <laughs> ben Affleck, both as an actor and director of this film. This is probably one of my favorite Affleck performances. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Fenway Park. Is your favorite scene? Uh, it's just uh, just Fenway Park. It's one of the reasons I like it. Oh, okay. Cool. I got to see the cathedral. Um, the action is actually really well done. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't really say that like in a surprising way, but this is this is only Affleck's second movie. And the first one, Gone Baby Gone, doesn't really have action scenes in it. And I, I'm still not sure. Have you still have you still not seen Gone Baby Gone yet? No, I have not. Mm, I'm gonna have to. I might have to add that to a list then. Ooh. Um, and then to reiterate uh, our love for Renner of this film, the chemistry between Renner and Affleck in this movie is again astounding. John Hamm is amazing, and surprisingly. Oh God! Why? Ah, uh, God! Why can't I remember? Uh, sorry, not Rebecca Hall, but the next female. Blake Lively. Blake Lively gives a fucking amazing performance. Yes. Yeah. And she's a babe. Yeah, and she's a babe. <laughs> I don't want to dive too much into it because, again, this is an episode in two weeks. So, those uh, those are the things I like. I'll go into detail into them in episode number eighty-eight. Yes, that we will. All right. Um, I I do also just want to say that this is. Uh, like I always, one of my favorite quotes in this movie. It's not my actual favorite quote, but one of my favorite quotes in this movie is such a throwaway line again. Um, of it's something I quote with my friends all the time. It's Ben Affleck to Jeremy Renner, just saying, "Let me ask you something. Who do you think you are?" In this really thick comical oh. Boston accent, I ask my I ask my friends and they ask me just all the time when if we're like playing a game or something. Just let me ask you something. Who do you think you are? And it's it's one of my favorites. I don't know why. It's just so quotable. Uh, this is one of my favorite quotes. Um, it's Doug and James. It's McRae and Coughlin talking to one another. McRae's coming to ask Coughlin for a favor, and he says, "I need your help." I can't tell you what it is. You can never ask me about it later, and we're going to hurt some people. <laughs> Little pause. Whose car are we going to take? <laughs> That's friendship. That It honestly is, and I think it's oh, – we'll get into it in detail So I'll in two weeks, so I'll, I'll touch on this. It's one of the reasons that this movie really resonates with me is the friendship between McRae and Coughlin, and I'm – lucky enough that I have really great friends in my life. And mm -hmm. so when I watch movies about friendship, they really hit home for me. And so this one is, uh, even though it might not be, it might be a very toxic relationship, the love between McCray and Coughlin is fantastic. I'll stop there. Yes. 
because in two weeks we're going to dive deep into it. So gold medal for me goes to the town. Yes. I mentioned off the top I was fairly certain I knew what Manny's was going to be. The lack of it in his 10 through 2 and his honorable mentions has all but confirmed it for me. It also came out in the year 2010. Uh, <laughs> it, is the second, it is the second movie listed today written by Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> Manny, what's your number one of the decade? I'm so glad that you knew this. And this is this was the movie. <coughs> oh gosh, this was the movie I thought might be on your list. No, not not quite. It wasn't in the honorable mentions either. Again, this is another one I think I watched when it came out, and then I I've seen maybe once or twice since. Uh, it's gonna need to be a rewatch for me. This is the 2010 complete fucking masterpiece, The Social Network, directed by David Fincher, written by Aaron Sorkin, just like my boy here said. Starring Jesse Eisenberg, Andrew Garfield, Justin Timberlake, and Army Hammer. Has a meta score of what? 90 fucking 5. That's, that's the high score of the day, I think, isn't it? Uh, um, up to this point, I think, uh, I think La La Land had it with 93. Uh, Zero Dark 30, 95. Ooh. 295 is on my list. Yeah, well, I guess I just uh, like more... Uh, I guess I just like fewer mainstream movies than you, Manny. <laughs> uh, the plot, as Harvard student Mark Zuckerberg creates the social networking site that would become known as Facebook, he is sued by the twins who claimed he stole their idea and by the co-founder who was later squeezed out of the business. Oh my goodness gracious. This movie is one of my all-time favorite movies. And is one of the greatest movies I have ever seen. When I heard that David Fincher was making a movie about Facebook and it had Justin Timberlake in it, I was fucking terrified. I was like, what is he fucking thinking? How is this going to be any good? And lo and behold, the genius, the master of the craft, David Fincher, puts forth a movie that is going to go down in history as one of the greatest of all time. As I've been listening to podcasts and watching other things, this movie has topped the best of the decade list on the majority of the lists that I've seen. If you have not seen this movie, you need to do yourself a favor and go and watch it right now. This was made 10 years ago. And even back then, I don't think they realized how important Facebook would become to the world. And back then, they show you how big Facebook was. Little did they know what it, the monster and behemoth that it would become 10 years later. You know what analogy comes to mind, actually, for this? Mm. I'm sorry to cut off your train of thought, but um, something that's always struck me funny about Forrest Gump back in 1994 is that uh, there's a scene where uh, Forrest, and I quote, gets invested in some kind of fruit company, and uh, it turns out to be Apple. And everybody in 1994 says, boy, sure, I sure would have been nice to get in on the ground floor back, back then. Mm-hmm. And then it's, what, 26 years later now? And like, it, Apple has become an even bigger company. It's, I think, the biggest company in the world. I think that's correct. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Anyway, that's just that's just a comparison that popped into my head. I don't know if that's relevant or not, but Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook. Yeah. 
One of Kansas those four? City. One of those four? Yeah, something like that. Who so, can, like, we're talking numbers that we can't even possibly begin to understand. Yeah. Trillions versus trillion and ones. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't even know where to begin on what I like about this movie. And I, I think you flip a coin. Do you either go with the absolutely jaw-dropping screenplay by Aaron Sorkin or the spectacular direction by David Fincher? That Those two are at the top of their craft in 2010. And that those two even those two towering achievements are even matched by a career defining performance by Jesse Eisenberg and again his performance as Mark Zuckerberg may possibly make a list of mine if we're talking about top performances of the decade it is amazing at how well Eisenberg can spew out this Sorkin script. That opening scene between him and Rooney Mara is one of my favorite scenes. And I don't know if you've heard about the filming of that scene. I'm not sure. <laughs> so you know, like, for those of you, again, if you haven't seen it, but if you have, you know the scene I'm talking about. It's a very opening scene. It's just Zuckerberg and Rooney Mara sitting in a bar having this fucking amazing dialogue throwing it at one another at breakneck speed and it's non-stop <laughs> and Fincher made them do it 100 times that whole scene they did 100 times and it's that is incredible and it's take 100 that you see on screen <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a lot of talking. Unbelievable. Uh, the, the the cinematography in this movie is amazing, and the score by Trent Reznor, and I can't remember. Trent his... Reznor does the score for this movie. Yeah, I did not know that. That's yeah. amazing. And won an Oscar for it. Sweet. God, yeah. I'm gonna need to rewatch this movie. I can't remember who he, uh, who he collaborated with to do the score. It's Trent Reznor and somebody else. Check it out. Um. It's one of my all-time favorite scores. I listen to it a lot. I love this was also for me at the time. And again, you, I didn't know it while watching it, and it's one of my favorite things about Fincher's films and his use of CGI is he uses it to help enhance the story, not be the story. And the CGI in this movie takes Josh Pence's face off of his body and puts Army Hammer's face on it. <laughs> Army Hammer is playing twins, but he's literally only playing one of them. And another actor named Josh Pence, who has a small cameo in the movie, did the acting. They digitally remove his face and put Army Hammer's face on it. So the guy acted in the whole movie and you never see his face. Kind of tragic. That's asking a lot of an actor, and he was more than willing to do it. I'm pretty sure almost any actor would have been willing to do it to do, to work with David Fincher. 
By the way, uh, the collaborator for Trent Reznor was Atticus Ross, who appears to have been his producer for a lot of Nine Inch Nails work. Uh, he's also done a lot of film scores like uh, The Book of Eli, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl, Patriot's Day. Uh, yeah, he's done a whole bunch. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things about this movie that I love, and again, you have to remember this was 10 years ago, was that Justin Timberlake was actually good in it. <laughs> he was wasn't he and not even actually good like i i remember watching it in 2010 he was just a pop star he hadn't he hadn't done the uh, if he had done some snl stuff it hadn't really gotten that big i can't remember when he started when he hit big on snl and then obviously the stuff with jimmy fallon came after but fuck he was really good in this movie and i remember watching it going god damn yeah, one of one of my favorite uh, moments. I was just trying to find the name of his character in this movie, Sean Parker. One of my favorite lines in this movie is rides a lot on the delivery from Justin Timberlake is when we first meet him uh, as he's waking up in this strange girl's dorm. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, she asks him what he what he does what he does for work, and he's like, "Oh, I I founded Napster." She's like, "No, you didn't. Sean Parker founded Napster." And he's like, "Nice to meet you." <laughs> That's such a good line. It's um, actually, the, he actually says something before that. She says, "What do you do?" He's like, "I'm an entrepreneur." Yeah, and she's like, "What have you been pernewing?" <laughs> I found a Napster. Yeah, that's. I mean, we could we could literally recite this whole. If we wanted to go through all the good lines that were in this movie, we could probably just go through the entire goddamn movie because oh. it's that good. And that's not even. And we're not even talking about the great performance by Andrew Garfield. This yeah. is this was my introduction to Andrew Garfield. It's it's an absolute gem of a film. And I can't get enough of it. No word of a lie. I honestly wouldn't be able to tell you how many times I've seen this movie. Um, I watch it constantly. I watch it constantly. I watch it with David Fincher's commentary constantly. I watch it with Aaron Sorkin's commentary constantly. I watch the making of documentary on this constantly. This movie is spectacular and one of my all-time favorite films. Uh, I'm going to make a recommendation to anyone listening, or maybe even you, Manny. I wonder if you've seen this. There's a YouTube channel I follow about uh, screenwriting called Lessons from the Screenplay, and they have a they have a social network episode. I'd highly recommend it. It's worth checking out. Done and done. <laughs> yeah, Lessons from the Screenplay, the social network. <clears throat> favorite scene... I'd have a hard time picking one, but I love the opening scene at the bar. Rooney Mara and Jesse Eisenberg just fucking flying at it at one another with an Aaron Sorkin script. And there's also a fantastic scene uh, with Eduardo coming back to Facebook after finding out his shares have been diluted. Him and... Eduardo and Mark squaring off and Sean Parker being a little dick on the side is a really great scene. Uh, favorite quote? I, I, I do always love Sean Parker leaving their first meeting saying, drop the the, just Facebook, it's cleaner. <laughs> I love... <laughs> I love when the Winklevoss twins, Cameron, um, 
Cameron says, what do you want to hire an IP lawyer to sue him? No, I want to hire the Sopranos to beat the shit out of him with a hammer. We don't even have to do that. That's right. We can do that ourselves. I'm 6'5", 220, and there's two of me. <laughs> uh, one of one of my favorites is uh, in the – it's not a courtroom. What, what do you call it? The uh, um, Deposition. Yeah, in the deposition. You know, you really don't need a forensics team to get to the bottom of this. If you guys were the inventors of Facebook, yep. you'd have invented Facebook. <laughs> yeah. That's got to be my favorite. And it's right before he says that as well. He's like, if your clients want to stand on my shoulders and say they're tall. <laughs> it's There's a lot of great Mark Zuckerberg quotes. Um, there's one that's just too long, and I just can't do it justice. But it's when he's not giving his full attention to uh, the person giving the deposition. I, I fucking love it. And then he and then he looks at him so condescending. Did I adequately answer your condescending question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Do you do you have any more quotes? Because I just had a question. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Just um, I've seen this uh, idea floated out there. This is not attached to any real sort of moving parts. Like this movie is not going to get made. But it's occurred to some people that given all of what's happened with Facebook since 2010, it developing into even more of a world superpower, one of the biggest companies in the world, uh, and all of the issues with it, with cybersecurity and uh, its inclusion in, like, uh, I don't know, uh, world revolutions and things like that, and how it's become an even bigger part of the world, it would not be the strangest thing ever to have a sequel to this movie. Sorkin's actually talked about doing one. Has he? Yes. And what's your opinion on that? If Sorkin and Fincher want to do a sequel, I'm in. If anybody else wants to, I'm skeptical. Hmm. I'm skeptical because I've found if I'll rephrase, if Sorkin will write the script and somebody else directs. I'll be intrigued. But if it's not a Sorkin script, I don't know if I can buy in. I will of course see it. Mm -hmm. But without that without that without that Sorkin touch, I I don't know if I if I would want to see it. And it needs to be Eisenberg too, right? Oh, oh yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, if it's somebody else, no, I can't. I think I can't. all I think you need all three names attached. Also, I'm not totally convinced I'd want it right now, just given that it, Facebook feels like they're in such a state of limbo, like nobody really knows what's going to happen with them and cybersecurity and, and all these things. I think waiting a couple of years, if they were going to do it, would be, I don't know, a good idea. Yeah. I'm a, if, if those three are on board, I'm, I can't even begin to describe my excitement. <laughs> so, um, close to three long hours later, we made it. We did. Number one movies, The Town and The Social Network. Um, both from 2010. Both from 2000. They got it right right at the beginning. All of that means, Manny, is that the best movies of this decade are coming out this year. So be sure to go to the theater, all right? Yeah, you bet. I have a, <laughs> I have a couple notes on my list. Please. Um, my films, like we mentioned at the, at the beginning, uh, my average Metascore is 85.3. I have three films from 2010. No other year got more than one. And 2011 and 2013 were both left off my rankings. 
Okay. I have no Tarantino on my list. Me neither. Isn't that the strangest thing? Well, I guess Django was in my honorable mentions. Yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was not. Hateful Eight was not. Yeah, and that's it. Those three. Not a good decade for Tarantino, unfortunately. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I, I, I'll i say this. If we did this list again in about five or six years, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if Once Upon a Time in Hollywood makes my list. Yeah, I hear you there. I, I think I it's can ju- It's just that. too soon, and I've honestly, I've still only seen it once. I'm um, trying to, I'm trying to quickly go through and through and see if I can get any of the uh, any of the same facts that you have on there. Um, I have uh, one thing about your list that shocked me. What's that? I actually probably would have put good money on on it. Maybe it's just again my recollection of your lover, but I'm I'm actually surprised that Inside Out wasn't on your list. Yeah. Um. Again, last minute cut. It wasn't even in my honorable mentions, but yeah. last minute cut from the honorable mentions. Again, so many good movies. I I did want to include a Pixar movie. Um. I think between I think Toy Story three, Coco, and Inside Out. Inside Out is my favorite of those three. Uh. But again, so many damn good movies. It was it was Sophie's choice. Um. The four movies that I had written. Down, what were the four movies you had written down for me that you thought were going to be on my list? Uh, Whiplash, Town, Avengers, Endgame, and shit. Okay, hold on. No, 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 no. Oh. Uh. Whiplash, Town, Avengers, Endgame. Oh, and I. Uh, the one that I was least confident in was Social Network. Oh, okay. So the one yeah. I knew for sure would be on there's Whiplash, the Town and Avengers Egg game. I felt pretty sure, and then Social Network was. I was like, mm, maybe. I thought the Social Network might make it because it's such an amazing movie. Yeah, which it is. I don't disagree with you. Um, the th- the four that I had for you, well, the the three, well, let's put it this way, the three that I was almost certain would be on your list. I was two for three. I thought uh, Endgame, Looper, and The Town would almost certainly be on your list. And, of course, Looper was not. Um, and then Ex Machina was kind of iffy on. I thought it could or couldn't make your list. Uh, and what year was Ex Machina again? Uh, the, the 2014, I think. Yeah, 2014. Let's see if it made it here. Wow, didn't even make my list in 2014. Really? Yeah, looking at it. Had you watched it? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. That's disappointing. That was for some good... reason. I thought you liked that movie more. That was a good year. I got f- I got I picked out fourteen movies from that year. It's a lot. That's a good year. Uh, I don't know if I had anything else from that year. Um, you had so you I... have all the. St- oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just. You have all the stats from that year uh, handy. I think I only have two. I only have two from that year. I I'm... have Ex Machina and Whiplash. I'm looking at uh, so 2013 got shut out. Only, Me too. Only eight movies made my even consideration list, and only one movie got moved to that final twenty-nine. Uh, what movie was that? Prisoners. Another yeah. Villeneuve. And then in twenty eleven, uh, I've got seventeen movies. One. 2011 you've got a you have a 2011 movie on your list i have moneyball yeah uh oh looking at the movies i put on here there's definitely a whole bunch on here that there was no chance they were going to make the cut (laughs) they were just on with on there because i really enjoyed them that much 
but uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo made my honorable mentions. Uh, a movie at the time, I'm almost positive my number one movie in 2011 was Super 8. Really? Yeah, I've I really that movie really hit very close to home with me. I I haven't seen that. J.J. Abrams. Oh. And then the girl. Oh, it, 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 I, the my number one movie that year would have been either the girl with the dragon tattoo or Super Eight. Neither of which I've seen. But another another one of your uh, honorable mentions is in there, and that's Drive. Yeah. Fuck. What a good movie. Yeah. It's <laughs> a good movie. Uh. All right. So that wraps up our top films of the decade. Did you have I, any? Do you have any? Yeah, go ahead. I had, I had one more thing. Uh, I just had I had actors with multiple appearances. That's oh, what right. I compiled. I uh, I had four by my account. There might have been actors in other minor roles. Uh, I had four actors uh, have multiple appearances on my list. Okay. Uh, Jeremy Renner had Endgame, and he had um, uh, The Town, and then Oscar Isaac had oh, what did he have ex machina and annihilation and then we had so i'm scrolling back and forth here yeah. scarlett johansson both from 2019 uh from avengers endgame and jojo rabbit and then jk simmons uh had a brief cameo in la la land and he was also <laughs> in whiplash i i forgot about him and i added him at the last minute <laughs> uh renner made three of my films what was the third one arrival right 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 um, and then I, I, I don't know. I'd have to really kind of mm -hmm. jump around to take a look and see if anybody made any other multiple appearances. Gosling. Drive was the last minute cut from my list. So Gosling almost was the case. Gosling's in Blade Runner. No. Yeah. I got, I got, I got nothing. By my... Josh, Josh Brolin in Sicario and Endgame. Yep. Man. Uh, by, but by Villeneuve my... made three appearances. He made no appearances on my list. That's kind of shocking. Um, God, who's the... Um, uh, Taylor Sheridan did not make an appearance on my list. Oh, he, made, he made your honorable mentions. He only made one on mine. Well, actually, he made two on yours. But two... Well, Wind River and Sicario are both honorable mentions. And and Hell or High Water. That's right, yeah. So three movies that he wrote, one that he directed. Yep. I only I only see two years uh, in my list that have multiple movies, and they're the two most recent years. I might have a little bit of recency bias in mine. I, 2019 and 2018 both had multiple entries, and no other year did. Interesting. Yeah. Jojo Rabbit, Endgame, Annihilation, 8th Grade. Fantastic. I think that's about it. I think that's about it. We should wrap it up. It's where I think we're exactly at the three hour mark, right? We are at exactly the three hour mark. Fuck. <laughs> and it must be, it's even more late for you. So let's wrap this yeah. up. It's close to 1230. Um, <laughs> next week, we alluded to, uh, we are going to be talking about Looper in episode 87. So stay tuned for that. We were, we we're going to have a lot of fun with that. I am completely lacking energy and brain power. So Manny, please tell the people once more where they can find us on social media so I can go to bed, please. By the way, before we do this, I had a ton of fun. This was a blast, but I am also dying.
Yes, this was uh, this was as much fun as I as I thought it was going to be. Uh, again, I apologize for my coughing. Sam had to listen to every single one of them. I hope that I got to the mic in time for a lot of the other ones. But that I, wasn't wasn't I, that bad. All right, I tried my best. I found a blanket close by. I could try and muffle them near the end. But yes. I respected the effort, by the way. I was having a little chuckle. <laughs> I, I appreciate the effort for sure. I try to make it as pleasant as possible for you, my friend. All right, let's get out of here so you can get to bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating and a positive review, it will increase our profile and allow other people to try and sit through this three-hour epic podcast that we've just recorded. Uh, you can follow us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. And like us on Facebook at the Samuel Manny Movie Podcast. Like I said, we do not post too much, so we will not spam your feed. I promise you that. So, for the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. Let me ask you something. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios!